Alright everyone, welcome back to the Side Hit Podcast, I'm your host Fat Tony, and today with us we've got Heath Patterson, welcome Heath. Thanks Tony, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm rad to have you on bro, how's your day been? It's been pretty mellow, just yeah. got up and um, fed a baby and then drove over the hill, it's a good way to start any day. Mm, so you've been a bit busy with some film projects lately? Um, yeah, uh, I've been working um, on a music video for Cora, New Zealand band Cora, um, and then doing a bunch of um, like uh, TV commercials. Uh, there's one Japanese one and another Kiwi one. Yeah, oh, just yeah. sort of juggling a few things, which is kind of the norm. Oh, we'll fire this one up. Um, Heath, where are you from, and how'd you get into snowboarding? Um, I'm from Mount Maunui originally. Um, well, Western Bay, Plenty, Omokaroa, and Mount Maunui, because my parents were separated when I was younger. Um, and uh, when my parents did separate, um, my mum got together with a guy called Pete Mitchell, who is Rob Mitchell's dad. Um, so the two families came together, um, five boys in total, um, and we were uh, yeah really into surfing at first. Then Rob got into skating, um, and then we all sort of followed suit, and then... Um, Pete, who's from Rob's stepdad, who's from Alex originally, he uh, wanted to show us what the um, you know what the ski industry was all about, and like his, his you know introduced us to some of his childhood memories and share some moments, um, some of those with us, and um, so he brought us down here for oh, three um, three trips, I think. Um, yeah, and we went to Queenstown, and um, but also had a little bit of time at Ruapehu, um in between, like spring and Ruapehu. We'd do some day missions and stuff, and that's sort of what got me started. And yeah. so, just straight to snowboards, or you guys uh, playing on skis first? Or I think maybe actually, sorry, I think maybe when I was like eight, we went skiing at Ruapehu. <clears throat> but with the brothers, with um, it was all snowboards. We were already skating. We wanted to be like strapped in doing 180s and now we had a lesson our parents made us take a lesson doing 180s straight away you know before we could even move down the hill and like <laughs> 180s on the carpet and shit trying to do a 360 and one up each other that oh, sort of thing sweet and so you had yeah so there's a lot of like one upmanship when you got five brothers definitely. playing on snowboards together yeah definitely um in fact that was like that was the life um growing up with with them in the mount it was always like oh like Rob was an amazing skater, mm. like straight off the bat. Um, he was doing kickflips and uh, 360 flips like pretty quickly. Um, like I don't even, I don't even know what period, what what sort of length of time it took him to learn how to do a, a tray flip. But he was doing them pretty damn quick, and so we were like, you know, playing catch up, and um, that sort of, and surfing as well. Rob's older brother James is a really good surfer, um, and so we we're always trying to like either catch up or one up the other one yeah it's, you know, it's five boys you're just trying to like either beat each other up or like yeah outdo each other yeah, yeah i mean shit rob was like a triple threat on down down the line like skates no surf that guy just hand, handled it all eh? yeah definitely he um <coughs> yeah he's he never really like chased the professional or chased that angle but um He's totally capable. Like he's one of those people who he'd be snowboarding for, 
you know, a few months in the States. He'd always have a skateboard, but and then he'd have a roll around in some park and just do some some epic shit, like straight out of the bag. He's only been he's only been in the park for like five minutes and he's already like, you know, he's he's already really good. It's like he never forgets or even possibly gets better. One of those yeah. dudes, man. I'm, yeah. I'm like totally jealous of those dudes. Yeah, eh? yeah, he's yeah. Like, yeah. he's a bastard but um, <laughs> it's good to have it he's definitely good to be that sort of driving force of progression uh, for the brothers anyway yeah. mm. so what was your first day on the snowboard I mean we kind of touched on that but like first day on the, on the snowboard was we were at Papa, and we were at sort of the mid station we weren't in the, we weren't in Happy Valley we were um, up near like a lot of those buildings and that that other learner slope that's a little bit higher up um, and we were, we had, you know, this like a, maybe a hundred meter, um, flattish spot and we was charging around on that, um, doing 180s and trying to do the biggest ollie and, but like turning straight away cause we could, we could surf, um, like in my case, surf poorly, but we could still surf. Um, and, uh, yeah, progression came pretty easy with, with the brothers around because it's like, there's no fear, you know. Yeah. You can't be a pussy. You gotta like, you gotta keep up, or you're never gonna hear the end of it. Yeah. Like it's even if they didn't give you shit, it was just a talking point. Like, oh, you fucking suck at this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who knows what you, we actually used to say to each other? But it was, um, yeah, it was a bit like that. And you head, you're like, oh god, fuck, he's doing a 180. I've got to do a 180. Oh, he's doing a back one. I've got to do a back one. <laughs> oh, he's doing a switch. I've got to try a switch now. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I, I can imagine I had that with like my cousin and shit, eh? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and was there a moment in snowboarding where it clicked where you like, fuck yeah, this is my shit? Uh, <coughs> it would have been on one of our family trips to Queenstown. Um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what that moment would have been, but. Um, oh, actually, no, nah, it might have been a repay because like I learned. To do a front three um, was like my first trick I learned how to do. I was, um, it would have been, I would have been seven, 17 maybe, learning how to do a front three. Um, and uh, I was up Ripehu with my school, Tauranga Boys College, and, um, and I saw Mike Smith from RPM. Um, he was up there in the park and he was with a bunch of other people he was riding with and I saw him do it and he sort of like, talked me into like giving him a crack over this little, little kicker but um it was like a almost non-existent park but it was like a jump and a rail or something um, um and so i'd not I, I didn't get it then but i got like later on in that trip just over a little lump and i was like okay this is you know i've seen like mike do one i've seen in the videos okay i can do one on this little thing i think i think i'm like really getting into this and i could see like a i don't know like a progression or something it was just exciting you know like finishing the end of the day going fuck i did a front three today like it was just a feeling i hadn't had before you know yeah yeah it's pretty cool right and, and just the freedom of being on a mountain and being able to go anywhere you want um it's quite cool with your mates yeah yeah that was a big thing yeah yeah and so this time you're at the mount and is this when nick hine came into the picture a little uh I, we always knew we knew of nick hine and we like i'd met him when he was quite young when i was quite young but um he was the kid at the mountain who had like a mini ramp in his driveway um 
well, just down the road from us. And it was like a two-piece one, I think, and you like could move them around, you know. So um, like two quarters. Yeah, two on quarters. Concrete sort of thing. Yeah, and um, but um, I didn't. I can't remember how me and Nick first met, like f- properly. But um, I think we'd started to. Um, I'd already been overseas at that point, or I was about to go overseas. I'd like. Yeah, I think I'd done my... Oh, yeah, yeah. I know how we met. Sorry. <clears throat> um, so I did my first season here um, at Remarks and was doing the Moro slope styles and stuff. And I was doing my instructor's course and all that. And, like, I'd learned how to do a frontside rodeo, like, that season. Frontside rodeos, I could do front threes and back threes, and that was about it. And... Um, and I was just fucking just trying to get them, land them without like reverting. It was basically like a fucking two-year mission um, that, that progressed into other things. But um, I, I went back to the mount after that season and this guy, Jake Pine, who started lower, um, he offered to like flow me some t-shirts and stickers and stuff. And at that point I was like, fuck yeah, you know, I'll take some t-shirts. Yeah, it's sweet, you know. Um, T-shirts, stickers, uh, hats, I think he made, and beanies. And um, he was already hooking up Heiner. And so me and Heiner got together through that, and we started, like, setting up these these um, AstroTurf, the, this, this AstroTurf set up in his backyard at some point. Um, maybe that was when I got back from Tahoe, though. Sorry, it's a bit broken up. But um, We'd done some, like, I'd build a big drop-in, like a, I don't know, eight meter high drop in um and we'd gone and got this flaked ice from the one of the fisheries um ice maker places and um we'd set these rails up and i think um that sort of developed and we ended up building this thing in heiner's backyard um but yeah it wasn't for a while i had hadn't i didn't actually like get to do that with heiner already been overseas to South Lake Tahoe with Tim Shaw and Blair Finlay and um, and our mate Dan Grenville, um, and um, had a whole season over there. So, so there was you guys were instructing over there or something? Or? Um, they were instructing. I wasn't. Um, I didn't actually. I didn't get passed on my instructor course. Oh, right. um, yep, I didn't pass. Um, I just mm. um, I was over there. I'd saved up money and basically assumed that I was going to be able to live for three months in State Line, Nevada with them and have enough money to get through. And I was like, the exchange rate was so fucking bad that I remember um, I had like... Was that, was that when you go to the States you instantly lose half your money? Oh, it was easily half. It yeah. was more, I think. I swear it was more like... I had like six grand and that got cut into, yeah, like... Two thousand nine hundred or two thousand eight hundred dollars. Mm. Yeah, so I was basically fucked. Um, lived a whole season over there. They, the boys were instructing, um, and uh, I was like living off Red Bull because uh, they had like um, we had friend. Well, I had a friend who worked in like a little hole in the wall sort of thing on the resort, and they sold Red Bull chips and M and M's. So I lived on, he'd give me free Red Bull and peanut M&M's. 
<laughs> so I just lived off Red Bull and peanut M and M's and like saved my money for dinner, which was like fuck microwave microwave dinners and yeah. real ghetto terrible shit. Now that I think about it, but yeah, I lived for like three months off that sort of food and it's, it's crazy looking back at your first seasons and what you live off. Like I think back to like my first season in Canada where I did the same thing for three months and it was like yeah. pastoring ketchup every night and. You know, like if we went to Subway for the Tony Tuesday, that was like a gourmet shit. Like, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Just. <laughs> well, while I, when we eventually went to Utah, I wish we'd just gone to Utah straight away because it's like the cheapest, cheapest place to live, like Salt Lake City. There's, you got Burger King, Wendy's, um, um, McDonald's, um, and then you've got all your Mexican restaurants, and you can live off like Burger King had like a dollar for a Whopper. And uh, it was a dollar for a Whopper. So you just go get two Whoppers, two dollars, but yeah. that's dinner, you know? Yeah. Fucked. So fucked. Yeah. So like Salt Lake had like, I guess like yes, city prices with the mountains right by. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think it's the closest international airport to a ski resort and as far as time driving goes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, we'll go back a little bit. Um, what prompted the move to Queenstown? Um, so... Yeah, so met Mike Smith at um, Ruapehu um, and, like, tried my first three and whatever. And then, um, you know, like, that was my seventh form year and people were starting to talk about, hey, what are you going to do? Are you going to go to university? Um, I pretty much went to school just to go on rugby tour. I didn't even go to, like, finish bursary, which is what they called it back in those days. Um didn't um yeah didn't go for school i just went for the tour so i was kind of there just like killing time um I, my dad was a teacher at the school so i still had to like show up majority of the time so there's a bit more of an obligation when your dad's a teacher yeah yeah. Right? yeah he was like telling me to leave school when i was 16 he's mm. like you're not going to be a scientist <laughs> he's <laughs> like go get a trade smartest thing he could have said like totally mm. should have done it but mm. didn't um uh but Anyway, yeah, so I stayed in school, and everyone's talking about what they're going to get do for school the following year, what they're going to do for university, and I was just like, I had university entrance from sixth form, because I did really well in metalwork and English, um, brought my points down, if you remember how that used to work, yeah. you had to get under something, I can't remember, but I was able to go, but... um. Yeah, like I was not, I, my head, my brain was out of the game. I was not even focusing on anything. Like, um, so I was like, well, shit, I'm, I'm pretty into, like, I'm really, in, I was getting into wakeboarding at that time as well. Like uh, me and my brothers would go do that quite a lot. And um, so I was like, man, wakeboarding is kind of like surfing, uh, sort of like snowboarding. And I'm, I was just like kind of focused on just spending more time doing that. And and we started watching like Decade, I think. We'd got Decade that that snow and shred mm. film um and we were watching that like every day and um that really that really got me pumped you know like watching this watching that shit happening over north america and europe it's just like holy fuck this is what it's supposed to be like this is what it's over this is what's out there i want to go get some of this so um i was like yeah i'll go to queenstown and um find a way to make it happen mm. yeah oh so there's no plan no job waiting did you, did you know anyone in Queenstown yes. at the time? Um, no, didn't know anyone in Queenstown at the time. The plan was that we were going to do, well, I got talking to Tim Shaw, who's my friend from up there, 
Um, and the plan was we were going to do our instructor's course because it was the first year it was tied up with Otago Polytech. Right. And so you'd get a student loan with it. Yeah. You'd get like, yeah, it was ridiculous. I can't remember how much money a month, but we'd get like some money a month and we'd be able to live off that, do two hours work a day and then go shooting the rest of the time. And that's sort of, yeah, that's what we did. But we were heading there, heading there to do that. And um, yeah. So was this about was 99 or something? That yeah. was 2001. 2001? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Queenstown scene back then was quite a bit different to what it is now. Like, like how was it when you got there? It's like sort of slapped in the face with like, holy shit, there's all this shit going on. Yeah, like we'd been there a few times with family. I'd, I'd mm. been there with family beforehand. Um, and so like I got this false sense of security of like how it's going to be because we're staying in nice accommodation with the family you know Mm. um and like um i definitely hadn't roughed it this is my first time out of the house and yeah had it didn't really know you know you're an 18 i was almost 18 at that stage so i'm like yeah i know everything you know Mm. um but i had no idea um so we turned up and like yeah there was this mad scene um but we had no money um again no money Um, but yeah, like there was a music scene, there's the snowboarding scene, there was skaters, there was, fuck, there was, yeah, there was all sorts of shit going on. It was, it's Mm. like, it was energetic, you know, when Mm. you first get into Queenstown, it's got this energetic vibe where like, man, shit's happening here. You know, you've got helicopters flying overhead every like now and then there's big planes coming into land. You've got... The, the nightlife and the bars goes every night. You used to go every night. Mm. Um, every night's a party. Um, yeah. And every day is like something yeah, new and adventurous you can do. That was sort of the thought in my head anyway of how, yeah. how it was. And then, and then yeah, getting here and meeting the, the people who had moved there for similar, similar reasons as myself. Um, um, yeah, there was there was a lot of there was a massive crew of people. So, what was your first accommodations in Queenstown like? Uh, we stayed. Me and Tim, we stayed at our first initial was um, um, we were like we were in this uh, Pinewood Lodge in Queenstown, and that's where we met yeah. Blair. We met Blair there yeah. for the first time. It's a pretty good spot, you know. Mm. Like it's a good size, and it's got a bit of, bit of there used to be so many people there, so mm. there's always something happening, but. Um, yeah, we met Blair there and his mate Ivan, and they were like, Blair and Ivan are a year, let's see, Blair's a year, yeah, Blair's a year older than me. So, you know, more experienced, sort of had an idea of what was going on. Um, yeah, and immediately, like, yeah, I guess we sort of hit it off with, you know, we all liked getting maggot, um, (laughs) doing dumb shit and snowboarding, so it was like perfect, yeah. But then it was like, um, yeah, immediately you started to like run into faces. Like you, you see, well, there was Rolly was there. Um, Denny Bevan was like this, you know, like a famous dude. Yeah. To me anyway, he's this famous snowboarder guy. And Dylan Butt, same deal. So you see those guys around every now and yeah. then. And, and was that one of those sort of like holy shit moments where you're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, a, li- a little bit. Like more so just like, holy shit. 
Oh yeah, I didn't think it was going to be like that. Like Queenstown is such a small, small town that you go down to Derry and you'd run into like twelve people you knew. You know, you could like you had to once you got once you'd been there for a while. It was like yeah, you basically were going through the supermarket, looking at the floor while you're shopping because you're just not wanting to talk to people. You don't want to talk yeah. to everyone you fucking see. You know. Yeah. Um, but um, but it was back then. It was like yeah, surrounded by all these like somewhat almost famous people you know not famous but in our mind it was like uh that that guy is real fucking cool to (laughs) to us they were a big deal oh yeah and they're all everyone's older than us we were like the youngest people in town you know apart Mm. from like kids who are going to college yeah you know and i don't know what used to happen back then but not there weren't many kids our age that first year in town uh, like i guess not many kids stayed at home they went to university our mm. age yeah so yeah it was quite random we were definitely like super groms at that point um was this the season that you were st- studying to be an instructor yeah, yeah still uh, yeah that's the season where we're yeah doing our instructors course our level one instructors course um with our and our instructors our head instructors were vicky course and yannick prolong who like used to ride for a snowwoods you know mm. yeah um yeah so cool from the magazines in yeah, the 90s yeah yeah, yeah oh, they were they were awesome like they were like the voice of reason of course to us like um man did yeah we were so free we're so green eh? like yeah mm. and how'd the how'd you go with it your instructing course i was going sweet i just never wanted to work yeah <laughs> Um, and when I did my exam, the reason I failed, well, so, yeah, I failed the instructing part because like I, um, they, they have all these, like these premises they put on, like you're teaching two 12 year old girls. Mine was, you're teaching two 12 year old girls how to snowboard. And I had these two Japanese dudes I was doing my exam with. Um, and we'd spent, I'd spent the entire exam, like three days with these Japanese dudes, maybe two days. And the whole time they're just teaching me Japanese insults. <laughs> and um and so like i'm trying to teach these these two i'm trying to pretend to teach these guys these two 12 year old girls who are like 20 year old japanese guys who are just like saying like teddy fuck and masturbation and shit to me like that in japanese like paizuri and asadachi constantly and just like slipping all these other things and um i don't know they they thought I was just taking the piss, like I couldn't stop laughing, like mm. and like I, yeah, I was distracted to say the least, you know. Um, but yeah, I think there was a whole work ethic thing as well, and because when you said like two hours of work, was that instructing work, or did you you work in other places? Or? Well, that's the whole that's the whole catch with it. Like you do your instructor's course. I don't know if it's how it goes now, but you do your instructor's course, and immediately NZ Ski is hiring you out as an instructor so you're like mm. yeah that's instructing still, clients yeah it still happens that yeah definitely up yeah the other way yeah so like yeah. i can't remember to what level we were doing maybe start we're definitely doing starter packs so that's like people have never snowboarded before um on the learner's slope majority of the day i'm not sure if we went to the next level up the hill but generally the newbies the rookies were always down on the learner's slope um, but yeah, we were like pushing people through, just like cattle, just like basic stance, um, falling leaf, 
shit, you know, like mm. falling leaf. The, yeah. 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 Mm. Here's um, how your bindings work. And, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. All that shit. Yeah. Yeah. And teaching them like mountain etiquette and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So they're, they're immediately making money off you and, but you've still got to pass the test at the end of the year to get the certification to say that you are capable of doing it, even though they've been hiring you out for a whole, year, a whole season. Sorry. So essentially you are capable of doing it. A hundred percent capable of doing yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, I hope they wouldn't let instructors do that if they weren't capable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty funny anyway. But, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of how it went for me. Yeah, yeah right. And um, so did that sort of follow up with sort of travels overseas after that season? Yeah, so we went to Tahoe that year, the right. year I was talking yeah. before, and I had a whole season. Um, like, we would, when the boys had a day off, um, firstly, me and, me and Dan Grenville, um, who's pretty low-key snowboarder from here uh from wellington he's originally from but is he still around these parts he is i actually don't know where dan is right now right. sorry so to I say i need to send him a flick of a text but uh next plate boards for a while then. yeah yeah well, he won yeah. the last rail jam that was in the last big rail jam that was in town all oh, right yeah dan got dan got real real good at, at chewing like because what the set last rail was that one of the ones that was at Camp Street? Then? Nah, nah, well, I don't think so. I think it was the one that was on the park, one of the last ones at the park. I, the last one that had a bar because that's the last one I went to because they all used right. to all have bars, so you could like yeah. go drink at the bar <laughs> and like, you know, yeah. just be like this maggot fest of deros and whatnot, you know, <laughs> just just like possibly go wrong. Yeah, because it's like an industry thing. <laughs> it used to be really cool, like the whole industry vibe. Mm. it was a big party because like it is around the rest of the world mm. you know it's, it's a big apres ski vibe is, um, it's kind of what a lot of people are in, in it for as well um, but yeah yeah yeah. Dan won one of those and Dan got Dan was always really good he mm. was like yeah he was always very good but I went to Tahoe with him on um, my first time overseas and and then met up with the boys over there in, in Road Park, and they instructed while I uh, while I rode by myself a lot, and like rode the Sierra Tahoe um, terrain park there, which was like it was pretty big for was, for us. Was that pretty eye opening first season over there? Just like holy shit, things are on a different level around here. Um, it wasn't the the majority of the time in the park. There was one big jump that was. Yeah, it was pretty big. It was, I don't know, I want to say like 50 feet maybe, um, with about a proper 50 feet. Like none of this raised knuckle shit. Like yeah. you hit the knuckle and your knees are in your head almost, you know. Yeah. Um, or you're in a lot of pain. Um, so quite daunting because coming from the Remarkles, which had like a 40 foot um, uh, snow built uh, where there was no earthworks. It was all just snow, big pile of snow. It had a quite a sketchy landing, like a short landing, because this pile of snow, the landing could only be as big as the pile of snow. Yeah. Um, often it had way too much pop. So you'd like, you got short landing, lots of pop, dead flat after. It's like the worst Those situation. Those jumps claimed so many knees <sighs> back in the day. Dude, it's, yeah, it's pretty fucked. Like, watching the things I've seen. You know, you know the part where Remarks Park is now? Yeah. And it sort of goes from that trail down into almost the valley. Yep. Yep. And they had the, like a fourth tabletop down there on the flats almost. Mm-hmm. We were watching my bro like fucking overshoot the like, backside seven, overshot like 
the whole fucking landing. Mm. Like, like must be about ten foot past anything yeah. of resistance. Like, fuck, that's the last we've seen of that dude. Mm. More impressive was he got back up again. You're like, oh, can we go get a coffee? I'm like, yep. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That jump was quite sketchy, yeah, because it had mm. the big run up into it. Yeah, but then there was like nothing to back it up, kind of. Mm. Um, yeah, they just. They didn't, they, like, I'm not sure when that was, but for a while there, yeah, the resources just weren't there. You know, they just didn't have the budget to, like, yeah. spend heaps of time on stuff as much. Because I think the groomers, yeah, the groomers are grooming everything. So they're, like, mm. and, and back in the day, the park crew, I don't even think had their, they probably still don't have their own cat and, and stuff like that. Yeah. It was just another thing tagged on the groomers' list of jobs. Yeah. Um, so this Tahoe trip, was this where the term Dero came from? Nah, Dero came from, so we were a general group of like little mount street rats, um, just surfing, skating, up to no, sort of up to no good, that sort of thing. Um, and then when we were six, no, seventh, seventh form again at school, there's uh, British exchange students. Um, came and went to Tarrant Woods College and they were playing first 15 rugby and, and these two guys were pissheads and anyway <clears throat> we got known as the Mount Deros and everything came out of these guys mouth was like this guy's a Dero that guy's a Dero oh, that fucking piece of shit he's a Dero you know like and that's mm. just it just stuck on a lot of people and then we because we had some characters in our group of friends um, we became the Mount Deros and so then that so that's the original Deros and then me and Tim came down here with that uh, and a few of our friends like came and stayed in the first and second season yeah and solidified that but also our style of life our style of living was f- fucking Dero like so like as in derelict the word the accommodation we lived in was virtually derelict um, for those first two mm. years can you describe the um, accommodation on your second year? Yeah, yeah. About that? <clears throat> yeah, so um, so that was above four square at Par- Parry's Dairy, it was called, and Candies is across the road. Candies, which was the, uh, the brothel, um, is across the road. That's right, yeah. Um, and then we're in the four square um, uh, upstairs, and there's like this it was like doctors' offices and dentists and shit and accountants and stuff, and they had this big mirrored glass window on the um, the the office facing the street. Anyway, um, came back from Utah, and I think it was one of Blair's friends. This um, this girl Anna, she, it was her parent. Her dad owned that block, so it's and it's really close to if anyone's. Um, unfamiliar with candies or the foursquare um it's really close to lone star it's kind of in that block of building uh restaurants and shit that's mm. near lone star um and so in his dad owned this whole section of businesses this this building that have that housed all these businesses and they were going to demo it at the end of the year and this is like something, this is a, a theme that ran for the next few years. Like As Queenstown's growing up. Queenstown's growing up. And so mm. like, get in one of those houses, uh, like a majority of the Deros are in these houses that are getting demoed at the end of the season. But like, 
the landlord or whoever the fuck was looking after us would like make the fatal mistake of like mentioning this as you're moving in so you're like <laughs> oh okay so you don't care if we like what we do you know like we can you know we don't have to look after the place and like mm. yeah basically that was the vibe you, you, it's not a good idea to tell a 20 a bunch of 21 year olds like yeah it doesn't really matter if you fuck shit up like just yeah don't burn it down you know that's sort of that's the sort of vibe we can't we can't go too far no one really cares about us so it doesn't really matter what else we do anyway so our apartment was me dan grenville and tim shaw tim got tim or rob got thrown through the window and that was like early on um the whole all the walls and it got tagged up with just everything just uh, yeah fucking all sorts of shit the walls were all punched out. I could see, uh, Tim could see through my room into the lounge. Um, you'd wake up with um, a layer of um, dust on you from all the drywall that would like settle overnight. Um, oh, we, were, we didn't have beds. We were sleeping in our snowboard bags with jackets and because we had like multiple pairs of outerwear or whatever, you know, because you had to like have a few pairs. Um, so just sleep on all your clothes in your snowball bag. Um, we did that for months. Um, we didn't pay the power bill, um, so uh, but luckily the it was either the dairy underneath us. No, I think like someone someone had like underfloor heating, like mm. some form of underfloor heating. It was either above us or below us, and that heated our house. So even though Tim or Rob got thrown through the window. Um, the house, the apartment was pretty warm, and unless it was like snowing outside, then you're like, holy shit, it's cold. You know, that's cardboarded up. At some point, someone ripped the door off. <laughs> so we now have no door, no window. And this is like right on the street. Um, and uh, yeah, we stopped paying the power, like <clears> I said. Um, so to light the place, we had beer cans cut in half with methylated spirits and we'd light it and we'd have like these lamps, these beer can lanterns sort of like just sitting everywhere. Um, we'd have a toasty sandwich maker, which, uh, no, that went out when you stopped paying the power. So we had no toasted sandwich maker. Um, maybe we had an extension cord going from someone else's apartment so we could cook. Can't remember. But Blair, Blair was upstairs in a much nicer apartment and by nicer it fuck wasn't much nicer like the toaster had been thrown into the wall uh it was still stuck there so you could do you could cook your toast and it's like hanging off the wall um oh, man someone like was cutting the steps sorry so the toaster was thrown in the wall and no one bothered they just no nah, you can imagine like a bunch of drunk counts just like throw a toaster and it sticks in the wall and just crack up because like oh my god and they could plug it in still and it bam you got a toaster in the wall and it still operates you know um, um but but also like they gradually they had this other this poor english guy his name was guy mm. i don't i only remember that because this fucking circumstances was so shit mm. he seemed like there were some older british guys living in this house with blair one of them in particular seemed like he was like much more mellow he was it was a mellow sort of dude um but he was by himself he was like not he had no one on his side you know mm. everyone else is four maggots absolute pieces of shit um and um he um had this these stairs these like 
the stairs going up to his loft. He like had a little like uh, a mezzanine up at the top and had to take the set of stairs which is in the lounge. And they gradually cut while they drank or whatever cut a stair out every few nights you know like and so like at first he's got to like take a step up and then like get and, and miss the next step to get to the next step you know like and by the end of the season he was like pulling himself up he could reach the first step with his hands pull himself up onto the first step then he'd have to stand on it and then like like do the same to the next step like it was fucking ridiculous there's like three three or four <laughs> stairs in left of this whole staircase um, oh shit yeah but that shit all like fell apart um i went to meth and big air and um i went to meth and big air came back and there was no house left there's someone a group of individuals had decided to have a um big party and like toilets got smashed and then flushed all the bunks got smashed over. It was like it had been a riot in the house. Yeah. <laughs> Holy fuck. Yeah. Right, so... Gone. Geez. We were evicted. Yeah, well, yeah. That's pretty bonkers to disappear, go away to Methven, come back and, oh, shit, I don't have a house anymore. Yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And, and like, I, I was um, travelling with Sam, Devol and Hana at that stage, like, going to the Big Ears, because I, mm. I was writing that next season. I was writing um, for S&C, which was, used to be Alta, for Cookie and um, F- uh, Finger, Matt Finnegan and, and Vic. And so Sam, Sammy D, like, um, who sort of, he sort of uh, had the acting role as like um, team I don't know exactly but he sort of took over and like looked after us on these these team trips to big air comps and stuff and so I turn up at my I don't I didn't think Sam had seen it at that point you know like he may not have known how shit our situation was how retarded and how dero we were but he dropped went to drop me off at my accommodation and he was like what the fuck and like we've been evicted and i went in there with him and showed him like we you know someone had done a massive steaming shit on someone's beard as well like a <laughs> oh, huge no. steaming shit uh, yeah i was fucked <laughs> yeah so it was all your sh- like all your shit would have been i think tim lost quite a lot i think right. tim lost photos and because tim always had a camera on him yeah i think tim would have lost some stuff um, and we did lose, yeah, we all lost some, some shit, but, um, I, I reckon, I think it was Tim who grabbed, like, a whole bunch of my shit with Dan, um, Grenville, and probably just, like, they looked after it mm. until I got back. But I had no idea where anyone was either, because I'd been just out of contact, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was pretty fucking funny, and just Sam's face was just like, what the fuck? And as I'm telling him this shit, you know, like he walks into our room and there's just like holes and dicks just everywhere over the walls. And he's like, oh, this must have happened. I'm like, nah, man, it's been like that for months. (laughs) Yeah. And I worked at McDonald's that season. Um, Oh, right. Roland Roland asked me to um, talk to you about the McDonald's time, I guess. Yeah. So... I went, um, I came back that season and was looking for work. Um, I'd apply, I, I got sponsored by S&C, but they couldn't give me, they couldn't give me any work at the start of the season, but I think I was working as, in, in ski tuning at the end of the season. 
um, with, uh, with, um, with Rolly's mate Gabe and Paulie, I think his name was. Um, and so but at the start of the season, I was like, you, you sort of turn up, you go, go there a month early, you, you turn up to Queenstown if you don't live there a month early or even, even two months early if you're like, you got the time and you're like kind of worried about being able to get a job and, and you just basically go around hanging out, handing out CVs. That's what we were doing. And like nothing came up, like it was pretty slim pickings. And NZ Ski, <laughs> NZ Ski, I was, I, yeah, sorry, I had a job lined up as in Terrain Park, mm. NZ Ski the, for this year. But this lady named Jude, who used to be um, like head of ski school, she turned out to be like one of the main ski school ladies. She like told them that my work ethic was shit, which yes it was, but in Terrain Park I would have been like all over it. Anyway, so that she she basically like shattered my dreams at that point, and I had to go find a job in hospo, which was just no problem. I'd done it before, and um, yeah, I went around and McDonald's was like, we'll pay you eight fifty an hour. Um, you can only work you can work nights only if you want, and um, they were quite flexible with my work time. So I was like, and, and I said I don't want to I don't want to do any customer service. I just want to cook. <clears throat> so um, they were like, yeah, sweet, that's, that's easy. And I was like, yeah, great. Eight fifty was a lot, like quite a lot mm. back then. Um, and considering our rent was really cheap, it was pretty good, pretty good. Um, but uh, yeah, so I started working at McDonald's, and then um, immediately, like, started to realize that, you know, oh shit, the people I'm working with, they're like pretty off it. Uh, and they had all these scams like lined up just ready to go for me to just like slip into you know all these little side hustles and um yeah that's kind of where the um yeah i fed the deros for like oh man i'm definitely fed them for a little while um mm. in in that in that perry's block go take the um i may or may not have taken out the boxes with like hash browns and meat patties and chicken patties and all sorts of shit yeah and i may or may not have had to go back at four o'clock in the morning and go get the bag from the area out the back and yeah. and take them home and would have yeah. it was fucking disgusting though right like i couldn't yeah. eat it i couldn't even eat it myself like because yeah. <laughs> yeah. it smells so bad when you cook mcdonald's at home yeah like so bad but yeah, anyway, so that was one of the hustles. And then there was my own personal one was the Big Mac and Tomato. I was quite proud of that. <laughs> and so I um, would t- just told the boys, okay, you just come in, you ask for a Big Mac and Tomato, because the ticket will come up on my thing. And I'm the only one who sees it. And um, I had these two Maldi girls at the front, and they were called as shit. And so they were just like, you know, I just have to like give them the nod, and they'd be like, okay, it's all good. And anyway... Um, so Big Mac and tomato was as much as like as much food as I could smush into a Big Mac box without the the box breaking because we still had a manager who was like a hard ass. Mm. But if I could get into that box and and the um, the little wooden catch the little sorry paper catch would stay there, I was good, you know. Mm. And so fuck, I loaded these things up, eh? Like so thick that you you, you couldn't like eat it like a burger. Yet they had boys had to take it home empty the contents out onto a plate and um and then eat it with a knife and fork basically <laughs> well that's amazing i was just like how much can you fit into a big mac box and just thinking about the size of big mac box then it's like that's some almost physics defying shit 
crispy chicken patty, like two chicken patties, two quarter pounder with cheese patties. Sometimes I just skimp on the bread, just load it up with <laughs> carbs, just like chicken nuggets, um, whatever I could get in mm. bacon, mm. Um, whatever I thought. Well, that's the thing, mm. like the boys never asked me for any specifics. Mm. I was just like, fucking load it up. Like I know what it's like. We didn't have any money, so like, mm. just, oh, oh, well, sorry, I need to rephrase that. We had money, but it was dedicated to drinking yeah. And, yeah. and just partying, you know, yeah. like having a good time and spending money on food. It's like, fuck, just get a pack of noodles and a bottle of wine, it'd be sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And so is this also seen, you were, may or may not have been seen cutting laps through the park in your Macca's uniform yeah, uh, yeah, that, well. yeah. I, I, I only, I only did like, oh, I only maybe did one day riding my Macca's uniform, um, and that was the day I quit. Oh right. And then I did the big year, the Queenstown big year, in my Macca's uniform the same day, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, to go back, that myth from big year you were talking about was yep. that the one that Terrier was there? Nah, nah, I'm not sure which one that was at. That was the same year that um, Travis Rice did uh, Christchurch Big Air. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah. And then it was like the Methven Medium Air or some shit. Yeah, so, back then they still called it Big Air. It was yeah. sketchy as hell, um, but it was still kind of fun, you know, mm. like, you, I don't know. There's always a motocross sort of... Uh, actually, was there a motocross event at the start? Maybe there wasn't. But toward the end, yeah, it built up into this, like, action sport fiesta. Like, yeah, monster's wet dream. Yeah, exactly, mm. exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah, that sort of thing, yep. Um, it's good that you brought up Queenstown Big Air, because, I mean, it seemed like in Queenstown at that time, like, every second week, there was either a rail jam or a Big Air happening. And Logan Holt asked me to ask you about this time you fell between the kicker and landing into a five-metre pit or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the same Queenstown Big Air that I'm talking about. It was right. um, so it started off the Coronet Big Air. You'd have it on the resort. There's snow, snow everywhere. It's on a ski resort. It's solid ice, and it was at night. <clears throat> and then um, the boys from Gifted uh, and some local organisers, some local sort of budding event organisers, just just getting started. Um, eyed up this uh, this location that's in between the Queenstown um, Jump Park and Coronet Peak, or oh, Arthur's oh, Point, so even narrow the field, Arthur's Point to the Jump Park, and there's like, there's off-road adventures. So it's on the other side of the road, eh? It's on the left yeah. side of the road, yeah. and there's like, um, there's like this natural terracing, mm. and they build up, uh, yeah, like a... It was still um, scaffolding running, but it was a bit better than the other the other ones. And I think the year before we'd done one there already, and it was sweet. Everything was great, and we'd had one earlier in the season as well. The first one of the season, so the Queensland Biggie had two, there were two events that year with like Shapeshifter playing, and um, was this, the fateful moment was when Shapeshifter were playing. It was like the event was building up into this big thing. Unfortunately, it rained and it just shattered on everything. But um, yeah, so I was always guinea pigging the jump. Um, 
I don't know how I ended up boys doing that. Um, I think Sammy D was generally doing that before me. But um, yeah, somehow I ended up doing that. And so I'd already tested the jump out and it was all good. I'd done like a switch under flip or something. So I dropped into a switch and I knew it was sweet. But uh, one, by the time the event came around, um, it had warmed up um, and the snow was stuck to, there may have been AstroTurf there. I almost think there wasn't. I think what I mean might have been just wooden slats. Um, so it was just like this dropping with wooden slats and the snow would sort of like be layered up like that. Um, so when you got towards the takeoff, um, uh, sorry, towards the flat before the takeoff, there were still slats there. And I dropped in switch and I'd like I'd done a method or something in my first hit, dropped in switch the second hit. And at that time, Sammy D had like said, don't let anyone drop. But um, whoever was at the top didn't get the message or whatever and let me drop and um, I, uh, my heel edge clipped one of the wooden like my heel edge dug into the wood on the approach like in the flat and I sort of like speed wobbled got this big wobble out but held on to it and I was like I can't stop now like I'm on a second story like with a red bull hammer below me and railing on either there was like railing on either sides of the Red Bull Hummer so people wouldn't touch the Hummer or because there's a DJ on top of the Hummer or some shit. Um, anyway, I got enough speed to get over the Hummer, over the fences, and I landed on these hay bales, which sounds really nice. But um, because I was doing a switch under flip, um, as I came around, I'm regular, as I came around, my front foot, my toe hit the, hit the side of a hay bale, so I had this rotation going to the side of the hay bale and it bounced my feet back the other way, so I counter-rotated my legs on the point at the time that I was impacting the ground, and I spiral fractured my tip and fib. <clears throat> yeah, and then I was like, hospital uh, in Bacago. Yeah. Damn, and so that put you out for the summer? That put me out for that rest of that season. Couldn't get out of bed for a month, and then like, um, yeah, so I got a titanium rod um, from my knee to my ankle, um, and the reason that I got that rod was because they're like, well, we can have surgery and set everything, set everything up again. Your break is it's pretty bad, but we'll use a few screws to like piece things together and set it in place, and you won't be snowboarding for oh, like a year, two years, or something. And I was like, fuck that, there's, what, there's got to be some other answer. And they're like, well, we could put a rod from your knee to your ankle that acts, that goes down through your bone marrow, acts as the bone, and you can be snowboarding potentially in three months, 90 days. And I was like, sweet, well, I've got a ticket to Utah. I need to get back and go snowboarding. So I was like, yeah, fuck surgery now. And so that's what I got. And yeah, spent a month in my bed um, playing Xbox and painkillers and yeah basically lost my brain lost my mind um just because of all that shit mm. <clears throat> um but uh came out of it and was snowboarding 90 days later after breaking my leg in like oh, 10 places 11 Fucking hell. Yeah, it was it was bad um yeah. but really painful like r like snowboarding yes but extremely painful to ride um 
had to have really stiff boots. Uh, yeah. So did the the pain eventually left or? After like by the end of that season, I could I was starting to learn like new tricks on the little jump again, like very right. small. Like basically made me had to like hmm. I had to which was actually really good for me basically go back to the beginning and like hit little jumps and just learn hmm. all the real basic stuff basically just doing yeah power turns and, and like I would go and hang out with the boys when they were hmm. shooting but not actually be part of not partake because like Browner hit Pyramid that year right yeah so Derotica Derotica uh, um, or Derographic. Derographic. Yeah, he yeah. did a front seven over Pyramid. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So him, Joel Webb, Koya snapped his board in two doing... I can't remember what Koya did, but he snapped his board in two. Joel Webb did an underflip, a regular underflip, um, over it. And, uh, Fuck, so the, you guys hit... Well, the, the crew hit Pyramid more than once. <laughs> Yes, yeah, some of us. Yeah, Fucking yeah, hell. yeah. So they went and they went and did it that season. It was like, it was nice. It was perfect. Um, yeah. So me and, and my mate Germs and one of the Deros, we all sat on the other side of the gully and watched from there. And yeah, it was really cool. Right. Yeah. It was just taking it easy basically for a whole year. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's crazy. Yeah. Mm. And that was like two thousand and five, maybe. I want to say that because I remember Andy Clark telling me about it when I was working in Sunshine Village. Yeah. And he and that was the 04 or 05 season. Yeah. And yeah. he just come up being like, yeah, Nick Brown just did this 80 foot backside 7. 95 foot. Or 95 foot or yeah. something like that. Or 90 yeah. 90 foot, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, fucking what? Yeah. There's, something, yeah. there's a lot to be said for that sort of way mm. of thinking as well, like park versus backcountry. Mm. Yeah. You try and hit that jump when you've built it yourself mm-hmm. and it's never perfect it's different every time you hit it I was bonkers watching so when Rolly talks about the later on pyramid session yeah it was bonkers watching you guys on the running yeah yeah and there was that fucking bump that was chucking you <clears throat> yeah it was fucking crazy should we talk about that now sure or, yeah, yeah sure so like because interesting hearing Rolly talk and um about how you guys accidentally built it way bigger than it usually is. Yeah. So, yeah, so we built it on a spot where these guys early season, had, they built an early, early season kicker into the the downhill that goes down into the gully. Mm. Not the jump that jumps over the gully and goes into the back of the mine tailing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so we were like, it was wide out. It was, you couldn't see shit. We, we'd actually been... We went there with the intention. We went to Utah with the intention of hitting Pyramid Gap. That was our focus. And we turned up. It was completely white out. It was snowing its ass off. And we were like, fuck, this is, this is good. You know, like, it's setting up pretty good for us. It's probably already built already. So mm. we get up there, um, and, and there's this there's the slump there. And we're like, well, it has snowed quite a lot. You know, like, maybe, yeah, maybe. Because we're walking. We've got photos of us walking through the gully, yeah. um, and the snow's up to our armpits. Like Fuck we're like, hell. it was hard. It was, there's a lot of snow. Classic um, Utah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we got up there and we're like, oh, this must be it, you know? This must be it. And like, it's really hard to tell that it was like, yeah, 10 meter back or whatever, 10 feet back or whatever. Hmm. Um, but 
we started building it and it's a big big jump and yeah like three days of building two of them it's been white out so you really have no idea we, you couldn't even see like the mine tailing for some of it you know because mm. it's so white out um and just doing that and then um yeah and then the sunny day came around and brown who had already hit it he was like oh this is where we dropped from last time so he dropped from like uh we're like quite some way below this like dead um don't know what those pine trees are called but those um high alpine like real fucked up spooky looking pine trees there's like a a trunk of one there and like like yeah yeah and look on pop and you see where they're like going from and um yeah that's the spot to drop from and i was up there i was dropping second and he's like as he's dropping he's like fuck you know he's all nervous and shit and he's like fuck i hope i don't overshoot it and like he, yeah he just he kind of he kind of went off his hair ledge as well spinning backside and then right. yeah he had a few yeah there's a few i think there's a few slams that aren't in there but i'm pretty sure that is that slam actually in there him going to the middle of the gully one yeah just yeah. Yeah. and just disappears in utah powder yeah, yeah yeah so he goes up and from my angle he's like way the fuck up in the air i'm like whoa this is oh yeah, this is looking good and then just drops out of the sky and disappears from my view i'm like oh my god he hasn't even made the wall you know like down to the mm. gully and so yeah we have a little regroup and he's fine don't know how man because like you're traveling so fast mm. um so so fast <clears throat> And um and then yeah and then I gave it a hit and I walked up way way higher way higher went past the dead tree like convinced like I'm gonna get close mm. and Brown was trying to spin and I was like I'll just do it back one it'll be sweet I'll just launch this back one and I'll have way more way more height and distance and um, I won't brush off any of my speed and I went into the wall and um like exploded into this wall to the point where I dug my body dug out a little cave and I had to unstrap my bindings crawl out of the cave and then walk down the mine tailing so, <laughs> Holy shit. yeah and like I just luck just pure luck that um there'd been so much snow and the way the the snow had built up on the side of the mine tailing there were like ice layers mm. and so like I, I heard these popping sound like popping sounds of me going doof, doof, through this like the solid eye like the sheet yeah going through the layers and it just was just enough i didn't even hurt myself i was a little bit like dazed and shit but i was like it's going really fast at a wall you know like yeah and then that speed to sudden stop yeah. yeah and like if i've seen people come short on that jump with yeah worse snow conditions and it's not good like broken legs broken backs Mm. There's videos also as people can. Is that the one up. where Tanner Hall breaks both his ankles on? Nah, that's Chad's. That's Chad's. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, Chad's has got sketchy running, so mm. it goes in between trees. Yeah. And when Travis Rice hit it, um, I think he was one of the first snowboarders to have ever hit it before because mm. they spent so much time on the run up and the, it was like this platform running that went into it. Um, while beforehand, it was just too too sketchy. Mm. The so fucking. That's got to be pretty nerve-wracking to be standing at the top of what is an iconic and big jump spot for your first drop-in. Like, I mean, talk about fucking butterflies and shit. 
especially when you've seen Browner just eat shit off it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. But I was pretty convinced, like, um, I don't know, I don't know. It's just because we had it in our heads. We're going to hit Pyramid. We're going to get... Oh, and we all went there. Well, we went there with the intention of like, getting a double over it, you know? Yeah. So it's like, this is just the start. The battle start, The battle begins after this, you know? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, because there's a lot of things... Thinking about a lot of other things as we're, like, doing that. Because I remember watching the video, and it's like, out of nowhere, you guys start chucking doubles. Like, fucking what? Yeah, yeah, that was intention. But that was the the goal all along. Yeah, so, like, before we started building Pyramid, I think we had had a day. We went to build another jump just on the way up there because we were like, it's so shit. It's going to be shit for days. Let's just build a jump. And, um, like, I was definitely... I was practicing doubles, like, trying to land a double in the backcountry <clears throat> um yeah and then um yeah and so that was and and like i got one and then i was like this is definitely going down this fucking jump and i was just like one i don't even landed one in my life <laughs> and it was sketchy as fuck but yeah fuck so did you get anything over Pyramid. So I'm sure I yep. seen you land something on the video. That's yeah. On YouTube. So that video, that's one cam that we had. We had it three days, and we had mm. an angle from this kid in Salt Lake City. He had a nice video camera, um, and I'm pretty sure that's where Browner's footage comes from. But then we had other days with Nos um, Kane Simpson, and he had his camera. Um, so we shot. Yeah, we shot so many days. We've had it for so many days. I think we may have even done a rebuild in there somewhere. But yeah, I got like three back threes because that's the warm-up hit um a front three and under flip like a unintentional cork five yeah i mean that's all fucking rad shit to take away from there though still like you landed a fucking yeah 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 three over pyramid fucking yeah 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 it was um oh man we would like it's such an exhaust it's so much effort to Mm. like like the the run-ups what fucks you most of the time so like we almost had to build a jump in the run-up to take up the compression you pretty much do you build this like the how do i explain it so you got this you've got this like 100 meter plus drop in that's very steep Mm. and then it goes into virtual pretty much flat possibly slightly uphill um and then you've got your that goes for about 50 meters and then you got your kicker so you need heaps of speed to get across that flat section to get to your kicker um and then that tranny and that from the the downhill run up to the flat is just brutal as hell and uh, and it has like a pre-hump before you get to the flat as well so you can get pop off that and almost like land on the flat um so you you had to like smooth out we're building this whole other jump in the running Mm. So um, those, those runners kind of, they used to fuck me up. So be like, oh, I'm going way too fast. And you get to the flats, you're like, oh, I should have gone faster. Yeah, yeah. Well, you just knew on this thing, like, you just, you couldn't go too fast. There was no way. Um, it wasn't until the last day that we were like, okay, we were more comfortable. But yeah, like I was saying, the effort that goes into, like, hitting it, then hiking back up to the spot to hit it again, it's like... It's, it's so exhausting and like you've got all these ideas in your head of things you want to do but then like the amount of effort you've got to get there um you start like 
sort of juggling ideas in your head like should i just do this should mm. i just do the easier trick should i just you know like mm. like like browner on the other hand he went back 10 so many times so many times to get that one like he was focused just back 10 back 10 and he like he did go and do other things sometimes but like he was he was pretty focused or maybe it was front 10 he was trying he was trying one trick over and over again and just wasn't quite getting there and then and then he did that and then it was just like holy shit like could not have landed it better you know like, yeah yeah because i mean even just like even though you've got a boot pack and stuff it still just fucking beats the shit out of your way like, yeah yeah each hike back up and like, it's hot fuck i have to make this one yeah and it got hot yeah um the the final day where brown got that trick it was so hot so you're like sweating like sweating your ass off like hiking up this fucking thing and like your your boot pack your boot pack is melting so your feet are slipping out and shit you know just like mm. all these little like ticks that eventually break you down um, yeah. yeah it's like again it's not a terrain park it's mm. you spend 90 percent of the time building the jump and then you spend time maintaining the jump and then time hiking the jump and you're in the air for fuck all like by the time you're dropping in and taking off you're like it's, it's such a minute it's probably you're you're doing other stuff 95 98 percent of the time yeah 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 and i think people that haven't don't realize the amount of effort that goes into a backcountry jump let alone trying to get the film or a photo shot out of it yeah yeah sort of yeah for sure things yeah. it's yeah. pretty easy to take for granted yeah it just happens and yeah yeah it's it's not that it's unenjoyable either but like you're up there with your boys and you're just building the jump and it's yeah, there's plenty of shit to talk about um sometimes the process is just as fun as the like, actual action like, definitely yeah yeah, yeah. um <clears throat> well while we're talking since talking about utah um how did the utah seasons come about because you you did quite a bit of time there right yeah i was there for eight years um eight years obviously with queenstown seasons breaking it up but um uh how did it come about i think blair and yeah Blair I think was the driving force of the first season I think you were just like hey I'm going to Utah do you want to you guys, you guys should come to Utah Salt Lake City we'll get an apartment it's going to be this much and it was like it was just easy yeah mm. cheap rent everything sounded easier there um and yeah and mm. I, I oh yeah and I, I'd met Reese Boberg the season before and so oh, yeah. I was like talking to reese about like oh yeah we should go to utah and yeah, be the thing to do right so he was a bit of a fixture around queenstown that time too eh? Like, yeah reese turned up i think he may have been the season before but he turned up on our radar the second our second season so 2002 and um i sessioned this um this big hip at remarks with him and um this guy carl stevens photographer took some photos of us and yeah kind of reese's is fucking it? Dero so like right. he like fit in perfect you know yeah <laughs> has, has he got a shoot named after Muppet Remarks or something Boberg shoot yeah the Boberg shoots oh, I can't remember why it's named after him I'm pretty sure it's got a funny reason but yeah Boberg shoots yeah it might might be a him him thing to answer yeah so were you guys working in Utah or just going over doing the three months ride as much as possible sort of deal um first season nah wasn't working um 
just uh, living off Walmart and Dollar Menu, which was like Burger King and McDonald's and that. And Walmart, is that the same thing that Shelley was talking about with... Uh... Yeah, money, 90 day money back guarantee. It's written <laughs> on the side of the building. Uh, yeah. No, no, sorry. What's written on the side of the building is um, satisf- satisfaction guaranteed or something like that. Anyway, yeah, our first season going there, we... um. I don't know who, maybe there were Australians there already, and they sort of told us about that, and we were like, okay, fuck, 90 days, okay, so we basically get our money back at the end of the year, and they're like, yeah, yeah, just it's like an investment, call it, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, anyway, so, um, so we'd go, we went, and we were quite, we were quite careful about it, because we weren't like 100% sure, so we like, went and bought sleeping bags, or just all the shit we needed, needed Mm. We didn't buy anything we wanted. Mm. Well, later on, the following season... Uh, was it the following season? Yeah, maybe in the Super Groms that season. They came out of nowhere. Um, and they, like, bought Xbox, an Xbox, full, like, surround sound system, like, big screen TV, all sorts of shit. Yeah. They bought all this electronics, and they their furniture were the boxes that the electronics came in. <laughs> but yeah, ev- everything went back. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and, and you buy paintball guns or you get money, depending if you had a, <laughs> if you had a your receipt. Yeah. Fucking hell, that's I, I couldn't bring myself to do that. I heard about it when I was in Colorado. I was like, oh, I just I just can't. But fuck, I'm almost kicking myself now. It was like, <laughs> yeah, there's there's the whole moral aspect, but which like the first season we went there, I think that's kind of. What we were, mm. we, we were also worried we weren't going to, we would get busted or we wouldn't get our money back. But yeah. also it was like, I felt wrong. Like we, I think Boberg took his undies back or <laughs> took a pair of undies back or something like that. Like it was just as a joke, you know, oh, I've got these undies too. I'll take those back. Um, um, we definitely like took our pillows back, and our sleeping bags and we were all lined up as a joke. We thought it'd be funny to just do it all on a line, like load up a, sh- a shopping trolley with all our gear and go in one directly after the other. And you have to go on every item uh, up at the customer service and be, it's per item, right? So they're like, mm. well, what's wrong with this? Oh, shit, don't, don't like it. And you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's terrible. Probably all going to go to hell for it, but if you believe in that sort of thing, but um, yeah, you're like, <laughs> what's wrong with this pillow? It's shit. Yeah, it's got vomit. And fucking beer spilled all over it. Yeah, it's fucking shit. <laughs> but it's because of you, you know? That's what they should be saying. But they're like, they can't. It's written on the building. I'm not satisfied. You could just say, I'm not satisfied with this product anymore. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So what's the um, most ludicrous Walmart purchase you might have had? Oh, well, I like, that was the paintball guns we got at the end of the season, yeah. Yeah, because we get our money back. The first season, me and Reese didn't keep our receipts. Or we lost them in a house clean or some shit. We, we did actually clean our houses, just so you know. <laughs> there was some cleanliness. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, like, we bought paintball guns. They were pretty sweet, pretty sweet paintball guns. Um, that was the best one. And then have, we had a paintball battle around the apartment complex that we're staying at which is called the springs of countrywood which is like this couple of thousand apartments in this tiny little area yeah <laughs> across the road from walmart 
uh, what's the other one? Sizzler, Merry Calendars, um, oh, yeah, bunch of just a big massive strip mall. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit! And no one, no one even cared. Like paintball, paintball gun wars outside and shit. The apartment complex didn't know about it. Like, so, right. yeah, I'm sure they cared, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, I cared. We'd, like, do um, raids, you know, like, drive-bys and shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fucking hell. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude, it was fucked. We could have gotten so much trouble. Mm. I don't know why the police never did anything to us. Like, um, especially the following year when they got the Super Groms. We're doing their first season. Like these kids, they'd have a party. The, the party house was their house, their apartment. But like, like everyone lived there. Well, pretty much in that apartment complex. Um, but every party's at their house because they were just like up. They were just keen, you know. Um, mm. But like, yeah. When the cops did get called, like all well underage, they were like eighteen, so they were <laughs> under twenty-one. They never asked for IDs. They're just like, oh, you Kiwis, oh, sweet. You know, just didn't want to deal with us. like, And, like, yeah, I saw some really, really dumb shit happening there. Like, someone pissed off the balcony onto the cops as they were walking in. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, i got to get the fuck out of here. This is going to be bad, you know? Yeah. Like, I've done runners from police in Tahoe, like, mm. jumping out the window and running running away from the, you know, because I was underage, you know? Mm. So I knew, like this shit's real like you can get in trouble for this but these guys uh, it's just something is in the water in Hawke's Bay eh? I don't know what it is <laughs> pissing on the cops yeah. holy yeah, shit yeah they were just it was just loose it was so loose well they couldn't <laughs> see you know they just saw there's water being poured over like mm. they couldn't the cops didn't know they were getting pissed on but <laughs> he, he might have even walked into it we don't know it was just like someone was pissing while the cops were walking past on the right below the balcony it was like Okay, I, I was married at the time, and my wife is like, "Oh my god, those kids are getting in so much fucking trouble." And she's like, "Yep, yeah, I've gone and told them, and they talked to me like I was an old man. Oh, you, whatever, Heath, you're not gonna burn, like, fuck." <laughs> I'll piss on whatever cops I want, Dad. Yeah, yeah, and like, one of somebody was printing off Utah bus passes printing bought a color printer from walmart of course <laughs> and printing off the utah bus passes it's a felony so mm. it's, you, get, you know if the cops wanted to bust them holy shit it could be so bad yeah right yeah yeah it was it was yeah. awesome they were they were so good to have there because they're like yeah the they became a they were instant like hit you know instant deros <laughs> grommet energy yeah bro you just need that grommet energy every now and then you know fire up the old dogs and um tom house sort of mentioned that you were <laughs> um quite ended up getting some pretty good sponsorship deals through utah or something yeah yeah so i got sponsored by this um this uh billionaire dude his name is travis Bershane. what did what did tom say um uh well there's two things tom said yeah i uh, had some pro sponsorship deals yeah and something about a, a gun-toting roommate that didn't like the Dero lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, so I got sponsored by this um this guy Travis Bushane and Travis. This is like my third year 
I think. Start of the third year, I turn up in Salt Lake City, and our friend Neil, I should give a shout out to, what's up, Seppo Neil, um, he was on some deal with this, like, this local guy, Travis, who's cool as shit, um, young guy, um, or relatively young, um, he was probably mid-30s then, he had a family and stuff, but he um, was a billionaire from telemarketing, um, him and his mate um, got into telemarketing, they one of the first companies to start it, so they had like high-rise in Vegas and a high-rise in Miami and a high-rise fucking everywhere, full of telephones. Um, and this guy had two young boys and he wanted them to from what I understand he wanted them to like grow up in the industry and and just he enjoyed the industry and like he was just a good guy and he fit in real good and loved snowboarding loves uh, loved all that, the vibe and shit so anyway he um, he offered to sponsor me um, and like I, I was paying for my Oh yeah, I had a green card by that stage as well though, so I was able to work. Mm. Um, but he was paying for my flights for like three years, maybe four years, um, and then um, gave me a car, got a Jeep Cherokee for a few years, and um, he bought the team, as in me, Neil, and some other guys a three-story log cabin with four sleds which we only got to use a few times like twice maybe maybe three times in the spring but like twice when we actually wanted to um everything's a tax write-off you see you're a billionaire mm. like spend millions of dollars they they pay millions of dollars in tax so he's like everything's a tax write-off you're a tax write-off like okay um and then um yeah it was pretty awesome he had a he had a hookups with the local distribution distributors and he built an indoor skate park in salt lake city um contracted a film crew um and bought a clothing company like a called the levitation project and that was like Bodie merrill and um um the um sort of sfk which is stupid fucking kids is what they're called um mm. from salt lake city they were like, there's, there's a massive group of Deros there. They're like super Deros, yeah. But like, we didn't actually come in contact with them that much, but. Damn, that's, that's so, pretty out of it. You see that whole other <clears throat> other half living. The rich yeah. side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I was living with my friend Sean, the gun-toting American, who didn't mm-hmm. really like the Dero thing. The reason he didn't like the Dero thing, totally legitimate reason and like i'm like sympathize with him was he owned his house and his yeah. friends owned their houses so they yeah. had parties and they wouldn't go fuck their houses up you know because they owned yeah. them while well, we're like turning up and no one owned a house and we're just like going around there getting fucked up and like smash the the the, the ceiling lighting in the kitchen or whatever like yeah mm. you've seen Dero videos like fear it on top of the freezer with the microwave like um <laughs> you know head banging and shit and then he falls off with the fucking microwave onto the floor of the kitchen like, I wanted to ask who that was thrashing Ferret. that was fear it that was only fucking hilarious one and only yeah, <laughs> yeah. was that in so that wasn't in the Dero Palace in Queenstown that was in Utah that, and shit that somewhere. might have been in the springs of Countrywood that's what the kitchen looked like yep <laughs> Yeah, oh, that was one of those great moments in snowboard film cinematography. Yeah, I seen myself in my friends' flats in Dunedin when I was eighteen doing the same shit. Like, yeah, oh, 
fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, there was all the Nelson boys mosh pit in the kitchen and then ferrets on the fridge and then he falls down onto the floor with a microwave yeah. and they all like kind of pause and then just like keep moshing like <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. so good I have, to f- I have that DVD in the lounge I have to figure out a way of digitalizing it and trying yeah. to put that intro on online somehow so that <laughs> dudes can see that yeah. that is a fucking great moment in time that intro is pretty good though as oh, well. it's just awesome. as an intro like because it starts off all like gangster gangster like um like mm. um tech nine oh yeah it starts off all tech nine you're like kind of like oh yeah okay it's this gangster theme and then just like breaks into that like mm. full because i was kind of bit. cringing a yeah. little bit with the gangster shit and then that thrash part comes on i was like oh this is fucking and like rob's breaking dressed as santa breaking bottles over his head and shit it's like, oh, this is yeah, too yeah. Fucking funny. Like, yeah um yeah like I think that's one thing that can be said for the Darrow's we don't really take anything that seriously and like mm. never have taken anything that seriously um, so as far as like yeah music and shit like that the whole gangster gangster thing yeah mm. we'd like do it but we're like always taking the piss you're like not thinking you're like mm. there's definitely some tongue in cheek behind it fuck yeah like yeah. well we're all New Zealanders as well yeah well majority of us are and um yeah you're like <laughs> that shit that shit don't fly down here yeah so yeah so i did eight seasons in utah um most of the time the Darrows were there um coming and going and then also like Darrow affiliates like um johnny mac and and wanaka Darrow would you know people would come mm. and catch up with them um um after eight years or you know during the eight my eight years in salt lake city um yeah, we'd catch up with lots of Deros um, who were coming and going. And I'm not just meaning like our crew. I'm meaning like people from Wanaka all over the world, whoever we knew would come into Salt Lake City because it's a hub for snowboarding and skiing. And um, they'd come and check us, check us out. We'd have a lot of good times hanging out. And um, the other scam we had, which I heard Brent Screen talking about, was the Einstein bagel scam, um, which, like, I didn't know where it came from. Um, all of a sudden, there's just, just this this hot new scam. <laughs> <laughs> the Kiwis and Aussies. And... Um, and uh, they have like a stack of Einstein bagel sells as bagels, coffee, and like panini sandwiches. And they have a stack, these three stacks of like vouchers, like buy 10, get one free coffee, buy 10, get one free sandwiches, la la la, bagels, dozen bagels. Um, and then someone put us onto the fact, because I don't know what had happened in between, in, in between the time that. Brent was doing it and we were doing it but you could buy the clipper you could buy it from Walmart right yeah yeah it was a star clipper so it was like just a simple clip star mm. thing yeah so we we all bought clippers and you just go grab these stacks of these vouchers and just sit at home just clip 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 clip, clip, clip <laughs> stacking up heaps of them um and um we uh yeah we'd, we'd like it started off Mallow, we'd just go to like one in the area, but then we had vehicles, and so there were six or seven in Salt Lake County, including Park City and stuff, um, and so we'd just do the rounds, like, just, yeah, you're heading to Park City, I oh, will go to this one first on the way there, and then we'll hit Park, go, go shredding, hit Park City, and then we'll come home and maybe we'd go to another one in Salt Lake 
and sandy or something um and but we had like because we're dero <laughs> deros we travel with like two cars with like eight people in it you know mm. um yeah super ghetto and so eight people would hammer this one einstein's bagels at once you know and we'd all have free coffee and a free sandwich so you get you get it yeah you get and they did eight free coffees eight free sandwiches and maybe two dozen bagels and no one got suspicious or they oh, just they, couldn't they kind of just smiled and laughed at the end they started to get suspicious because we'd like it would be always a similar scenario where like there'd be heaps of us and we'd all like hammer at the same time um, but we would because um, we thought we were being clever we'd split up so like one car would go through the drive through <laughs> four Jeros would hammer the drive through and then four Jeros would go inside <laughs> and like <laughs> We thought we were being so, so suave. And, yeah, that's um, Yeah, yeah they'll, they'll never see this. Um, and then, yeah, they'd ask, like, where do you guys get all these vouchers? Or, like, you must really like sandwiches. Like, fuck yeah, I love sandwiches. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like this. I don't know if it's built in, but there's something about Kiwis and Aussies. We're just like, and I'm sure with everyone else, but. It's well, more noticeable that we take advantage of like scenarios like that. We're more likely to. And I, I don't know if that's from back in those times when you travel, you'd lose half your money as soon as you'd go anywhere. Yeah, and so you'd have like that sort bit of born out of necessity. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, it was a running joke when I was travelling. Like, oh, who who stole your drink at the bar? Probably a Kiwi. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. And the other thing, like every time you do something dumb like that. You'd say you're Australian if you ever got a quarter or anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, just like the Aussie boys would say they're Kiwis. <laughs> You'd be like, nah, mate. Oh, fuck, nah, mate. Oh, it's truth. Nah, not me, mate. Oh, nah. Go, go. <laughs> Going yep. back to Dingo Land. And they'd be like, oh, yeah. Another Australian. Like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sort of roll their eyes and let you go. Somewhat. Sometimes. For some reason, I don't know why, how it flies, but they just seem to just like they're obliged to like let you get through yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah well while we're on the subject Deros uh, can you enlighten us a bit about Dero Palace yeah, so the Dero Palace my mum after the Parry's um, the apartment above the Parry's um, dairy she had been down that winter to see us and saw the situation that me and Tim were living in she was like this is fucked like and, and we were paying, I forgot to mention, but we were paying $110 each a week for rent for a place with no windows, no doors. Yes, we had done it ourselves. But still, mm. we didn't, this place was so shit. Like, mm. so, so shit. Um, and, uh, yeah, so she was like, okay, um, I'm, I'm looking to buy a house and something, do something, you know. Um, mm. I'm looking to buy a house, invest in something anyway, so... I might buy a house and you guys can move into it and you'll pay me rent and then I'll pay the mortgage. And anyway, we're like, yeah, this sounds pretty good. Anyway, after we got evicted from that place above the dairy, um, I stayed at the Bronx with Sam and Hannah for like a month or so. And then my mum bought the house um, up on Hallenstein Street. And that house... um, Started off, started off pretty mellow. She was renting it out to like, oh, she was renting it out per room, which was so shit because like, as opposed to renting it out to us as a house, as a whole, mm. like we could have paid less money. 
for one. But she rented out per room and she'd stack two of us in each room. So she was making making money immediately off us. Mm. But oh yeah, no, sorry, we had a property manager at that time. Um, and she was she was she was a lovely lady. <laughs> she was a lovely lady. Um, we called her T Rex, T Reza. Um, and she yeah, basically we like tried to get the party thing going. Didn't really work because of Teresa and um, yeah, whatever. She was doing her job, and we mm. were absolute pieces of shit, obviously. Um, so, so that season was pretty mellow. This following season, I think Teresa quit or something like that. Mum was just like, "I'll just manage it, and you just keep me posted on what needs to be done." Like being the <coughs> trusting, <laughs> trusting mother that she was, and you know. <laughs> installing a little bit of responsibility in me which didn't work um yeah so i was like okay sweet and like tim had been on my case constantly like your mum is renting this place out per room it sucks like you know we could have less people in the house and pay the same amount and it would be it'd be way better you know it would be less trashy and less darrow but she wouldn't let me get it. Anyway, the next year, it was like, that was it. We had enough. Um, and we we loaded up. We, 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 we appeared to be abiding by the rules, but we actually let way more people stay there. I think we had Willie Beggs. Willie Beggs may have been renting, like, helping us pay rent or power, and he was sleeping on our floor. And we had some other dearers sleeping in the lounge and shit. And that was kind of, the, that's where it started to like, turn into a full maggot palace because you have a party you had like six eight people living six people at that stage probably living there everyone invites someone where you got a party you know Mm. a few years later my brother became the manager my brother Hadley he moved down to do um arborist work in Queenstown and um he my mum put him in charge because I wasn't up to the task (laughs) um (laughs) yeah um and then like oh fuck i can't even remember we had we had so many people we took full advantage of it we had so many people living in that house i think we had 12 or something at one point um we had um the hawks bay deros living in this little glass room like a sunroom yeah it was was tiny tiny it was like a little bit bigger than this room not big no yeah a classic seasoning shit though eh? yeah and then we had like three other people three people in each room we just filled the place up every time mum came down we'd have a house uh, mum's in town party because she like liked to meet our friends so we're just like oh fuck man we have a party and tell her that everyone who's here we'd invite other people of course but all these other people they're not here they're just like staying for the night so they don't have to drive back to fuck I don't know where somewhere else <laughs> in Queenstown <laughs> and she like bought it like I don't know how much she bought it but she bought it mm. um, and then that season where Shelley and Kelly turned up mm. uh, we had Shelley and Kelly in the um, the girls hut out the back because oh, there was a sleep out at the back um, that was one of the rooms and so they had their own the girl zone and then the boys are in the in the main zone and um we developed this sort of we didn't really we wanted to sort of look after the house as much as we could and not have to do these massive cleanups because we started to have more and more parties 
So we came out with this party carpet idea where we'd got like, I think maybe Sammy D got us the carpet or someone sussed us the carpet. We cut it. We may not have cut it. Nah, that doesn't sound like something we would have done. We would have just like laid it out over top, which, you know, over the overlaid pieces and filled up the lounge just perfectly, perfect. And you could like, it, the the initial idea was like, it'll catch majority of the alcohol or the beer and shit that gets on the floor. Um, and when we go to clean up, we'll just roll it up and tilt it, and all the shit will fall out. Beer cans, glass, whatever, and it'll be clean for next time and it'll just like I can't remember we stashed it maybe in the garage at this point we didn't have anyone living in the garage in <laughs> Levi Wallace you know Levi Wallace no. yeah, well, anyway Levi Nelson boy he ended up renting the garage of us um, yeah so the party carpet was a hit it was such a, it was so good man like no fuss at all and like oh yeah we used to like get all the cutlery all the plates all the cups glasses empty out the entire kitchen anything that could be thrown or like flour any grains mm. anything any baking ingredients would go under our beds so like just no one would be tempted to like grab it and throw it around we would yeah. just make this place like idiot proof but still very much not idiot proof because the deros were like because they saw the party carpet was there and all of a sudden they're like oh I'm just going to pour my drink on the ground on purpose and I'm going <laughs> to smash this bottle over the table and like <laughs> yeah. uh, you know that sort of thing and, um, yeah, yeah it, it worked sweet it was um, it, my mum liked it my mum liked party cup it she's like genius idea I'm like yeah fucking hell it is <laughs> <laughs> well, I love Shelley's description. She's just like, hey, and every night they roll it up, regardless of broken grass and all that shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like, you'd have like a week in between parties, and so it would dry out. It didn't smell that bad, surprisingly. Like maybe to me, to my nose now, I'd be like, oh my god. But back then, it was like, hmm, doesn't even smell that bad. The party carpet was newer than our carpet that was in our house, so it was like. It was reasonable. It was pretty good. <laughs> and while we're on the subject of Dero Palace, um, can you lighten us on um, Friday 50 Bag Fight Night? So that's when the Dero Palace, we started, when our house, I should just call it our house, we decided to, well, I decided we're going to have, we're not just going to have parties just to get pissed. Like, we had, um, have some form of entertainment and, it didn't go that far, but we had this one night. We had the Friday fitty bag fight night box. We had boxing gloves and um, <laughs> headgear. I think we had headgear. Like, both of them real, real good snowboarders and good guys. And we had them fight for a fitty bag. Um, it was it was pretty cool. Well, it was terrible, like, as far as, like, <laughs> being mentors and shit goes. But that's, again, like, we're not there to be mentors. We're there just having a good time. and. Mm. Yeah, it, we should have had more. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I don't know why no one else has done that. So good. <laughs> oh, shit's a, yeah, shit's a bit tamer now, eh? Yeah, that, that's another thing. Like, the industry is so different to what it used to be. Mm. Like, there were people, like, majority of us all worked. Mm. Like, 
<clears throat> we all worked in hospo, or we worked on the ski field, um, in terrain park or whatever. Lifty, there's some lifties. Um, but yeah, we're all working. We had fuck all money, but we're there for a good time for the, not just for snowboarding, but for the, the lifestyle that mm. Queenstown provided. Um, and I've heard you uh, on Polder's one, P Diggs is one. You guys talked about um, Tardis and stuff. Mm. And so you had that whole side. It was the big music. Um, there's a lot of entertainment. It was like you're sort of rubbing shoulders with these like very talented individuals in our age group. And mm. um, even though you had no money, um, yeah, well, it was such a good time. Like you said, there seemed to be this whole creativity melting pot that you had, like. Digs and those dudes doing like music and shit. Yeah. But you also had like, you know, sub 20 and gifted and these creative things popping up from like the snowboard crew at the time. And yeah, you know, Nick was making plague snowboards around that time. Yeah, yeah. And, and it seemed, seemed to be this sort of hotbed of what snowboard culture creativity or something. Or? Yeah, there was. Definitely, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people doing a lot of different things. It's sort of just, I guess, starting out in their own ventures and um, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. But, um, yeah, the music side was just, there's an abundance, you know. You had yeah. um, Downtown Brown, P. Diggs, um, KP. <clears throat> um, so they were the Sunshine Sound System. Because um, it's bonkers, like Tardis is now a Japanese restaurant. Yeah. And I walk past there every now and then and be like, how the fuck was that a bar? Like, fucking good know, bar, man. But, uh, you know, it was fucking mean. Yeah, one o'clock in the morning. Mm. Don't go there any earlier. Go there at one, and it was like heaving, yeah. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's how the town's changed. It's just become like people have bought expensive apartments, multi million dollar apartments in town, so they've mm. complained about the noise. They've moved into a party town, and then they complain about the noise levels and the. What was that band doing there? What's that? Revolver. Yeah, Revolver. And I've seen yeah. a lot of great, like the Datsuns and had like a hole and stuff there. Yeah. A few years ago, I was like, where's Revolver? Like, I and then it's like, oh, yes, yeah, the, the guy that built the apartments complained about the noise. I was like, did they not see there was a band venue before he built the fucking apartments? Yeah, he, like, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was a really cool venue. It had a mini mm-hmm. ramp, had a mini ramp yeah. inside, um, and it had like live music. Yeah. There was, they were in the process of setting up a little restaurant sort of food zone, um, but were, yeah, it was it was really cool. Johnny put so much work into that. We had our Dero premieres at the um, at Revolvers, and um, mm. he's such a good guy. Like he should never have taken us on board. We we're like, well, after our first one, where like every glass got smashed, um, we felt we're like, dude, we did. He was like, well, you can have the next one at our at Revolver again. We're like, holy shit, dude, like. You sure? Like, this sounds terrible. And then he's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's all good. We're like, okay, get plastic cups. Nope. No, nah, can I get glasses? Whatever. He knew it was coming, you know, like, but he was just loved the vibe and we filled out the place and I guess it became sort of a, a real hub for um for our crew, which was like, fuck, if you can count everyone who's sort of on the outside, so like 30-something people, you know. Yeah. Right, that, that was the other thing. We got away with murder and... In Queenstown because of um, our numbers and we we're like regulars going out every night um, so on those quieter nights if you had us in there you're like still that still make bank yeah and and I guess at that point sort of your crew the crew of riders has started to become well known within the snowboard 
media as well. You've been like, oh, that's just those dudes doing those dudes things, or because it did feel like for a hot minute there, a couple of years, like I sort of opened up New Zealand snowboarder, and it felt like the Dero crew was part of the crew that was driving where snowboarding in New Zealand was going at that time. <laughs> definitely, the, definitely the um, party vibe. Um, mm. Yeah, there were a few, like a few of us who were getting paid to snowboard and travel, mm. for sure. Um, but yeah, there's 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 so many good friends and stuff and, mm. and behind the scenes that are like, you know, the heart of it. Mm. But yeah, yeah, Is like it, I I'm not sure if uh, Browner, Heiner, um, Koya, Rolly, um, sure who is getting paid maybe mark anderson probably um, all those dudes it's like some heavy names that had a big influence on where snowboarding went yeah so i don't think that can be taken away from that crew or the dero crew that time even though there was all these other antics it's funny you mentioned the um glass because amy who manages quest yeah she was telling me like at that time i think she worked at rattlesnake yeah and she's saying like you guys when you go in she was that was the reason she was pushing for everything to go like plastic cups there instead of uh, <laughs> instead of glass and shit and, yeah, yeah it would have been a good push yeah <laughs> yeah but like um, that that's yeah but would have that not that, i don't even know if we spent that much money there but we must have because we were there almost three mm. nights a week at least well it's like um, what you're saying before like you you always find money for entertainment yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and oh, and then we had the boys who would go to the mi- who were working in the mines, and they would come back with like, just that. That's at that point it was stupid cash. You know, was it three grand a week, whatever they get paid, mm. and like, oh, I can't remember. Joe Winokuri was doing massive stints. That dude, fuck, he's an episode in himself, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like. <laughs> he's fucking classic but like it seemed like a few of the guys who were working on rigs or doing mining were like um on the same sort of buzz because they just got given so much it was just so much cash all of a sudden Mm. and then they'd come back to queenstown and be like yeah the bars would love it because then all of a sudden one of the one of these guys is buying like 30 red bull vodkas at once and just like shitting money yeah yeah and then go back to the mines broke oh, man I, I can't imagine he went back with very much money yeah but fuck. that dude fuck classic guy oh man i wouldn't even know where to start not i don't really know him that well i've just seen him a couple of times at parties being like who the fuck is that guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, <laughs> what's he doing right now yeah yeah living legend eh? yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah but that yeah that was sort of you had these guys that were sort of like joe just driving force of everything that were like the party zone anyway mm. <laughs> and like if you didn't go out what the fuck was wrong with you you know yeah yeah go crazy you're gonna miss out on something <laughs> yeah. yeah like who got thrown over the bar and smashed the jaeger machine uh <laughs> uh, uh Oh. Someone actually physically got yeah, over yeah, the bar. Yeah. Well, so I thought there was a figure of speech for a no, second. No, no, no. No, no. They lifted his legs up to like... Oh. I can't tell you who, but um, yeah. They lifted his legs up to like grab a bottle. 
Oh, yeah. um, and he grabbed the bottles attached. The... Oh, no, he smashed the Lone Star Till. Did you ever see those? It, it had lots of, like, metal work around it. It was, like, mm. real... Nice till, whatever. Yeah. The Jägermeister machine did get broken a few times. Yeah. But someone got lifted over and smashed the till. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. While trying to um, acquire things without paying for them or something. Oh, like yeah. Because that. That, that, that's the thing. The there is you get, like, full Maggie and then, like, start eyeing up the liquor, which is sitting there with a pour on it. And, like... And that would go around the bar, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, they made money, but... Potentially, there was some yeah that went under the table, unintentionally. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to set the Burton Warehouse Dick story straight? Yes, I would like to set this story straight. Firstly, no, I didn't go around just drawing dicks on everything. Secondly, Rolly got us busted in the warehouse because he drew a dick on a mango. who was one of the girls in the office, and she told she like told our office manager, and he freaked out at us. It was Roland. Roland Morley Brown um, plus yeah like some of the dicks yes they were everywhere so you're in this warehouse situation and there's boxes everywhere there's like three stories of boxes you use forklifts and stuff to get some more um, and you, you'd open you'd go to this box which is like it was analog burden forum and was, uh, special blend um, yeah all those brands um, and you pull down some box that's been sitting there for like five years. No one's touched it. You know, dusty as shit. And it's got dicks all over it. And it might have like Tim, like you, you knew Tim Shaw drew it because it had something about our friend Chad, and like yeah, some some shit. You know. Anyway, this place is riddled in dicks. And like someone at some point in time had spent like real real time, real company time drawing these things. So the more detailed, the funnier it was. Um, but there were these um, these two massive coffin boxes which held like 120 and 100 or 150 um, snowboards uh, decks that would go be sent to New Zealand. So it was just you knew who it was going to. It was going to Jay and Bird at Burden. Um, so or Jay and Guy at Burden. Um, so it wasn't. It didn't seem to really bother us that much. But this is a massive cardboard box with this massive Burden logo on it, that's made out of comprised of like penises, and then there was a forum one that was also <laughs> comprised of penises. Um, so like, yeah, and we got in trouble for that shit. And that was like that'd been there. It, it had gone. Not only had it gone there once, it had been doing the same thing trans Tasman for years. So <laughs> I don't know how they like wrapped this box but they must have wrapped it in plastic because like surely the the courier or airmail or whatever didn't see it but um yeah it had gone back and forth and and it and it kept it came back while i was there with dicks on it and the office the um the warehouse manager again like can everyone please stop drawing dicks on everything this is unacceptable he'd like ream us for like drawing these dicks and you'd be like dude you gotta be fucking kidding me! Can you see how old this box is and how old that is? Mm. Like that's not even my that's not even my handiwork. Can't you tell my style? I have a way more flick off the ball sack, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it> is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no, I didn't draw all the dicks. I drew some. Yes, I drew some. Mm. But the majority of them were going to New Zealand. Because we thought Kiwis would find it funny or some shit at the other end. Um, we didn't. Yeah, we were quite careful about not doing it to Australia. 
Right. And so you guys were working there in between seasons and shit. Yeah. Sort of do the stint and come back to New Zealand for the winter. Right? I only did one. All right. I did a year there because I had knocked myself out. My my sort of ender, I had to get away from, I couldn't, wasn't allowed to snowboard anymore. So I went there and had a year out of Queenstown where I got to detox, but I definitely didn't detox. <laughs> yeah. Detox and snowboarding anyway. <clears throat> In that sort of 2000s time, Remarks Park was a big force to be reckoned with, right? Like, I mean, it was a pretty big deal. I remember even being over here with Snow Park and Kukudrana and being like, damn, Remarks has got some shit going on. Like, how, yeah. that was, that would have been when you started coming to Remarks. How was that? Yeah, it was a big step up. Um, mm. So Snow Park did its <clears> thing, like came out of, kind of seemed to come out of almost nowhere, you know, that mm. had, that had a pre-season... Um, there'd been a season with a rope tow at uh, the T-Bar and um, maybe was it was it only one season or was it two seasons with the T-Bar uh, one season well they had, they had the first year they were close to public was T-Bar second year they had a T-Bar and yeah. then 04 they had the cheerlifter yeah so yeah. The, the first proper season with the T-Bar um, mm. I think that like kicked a lot of resorts into gear because like as far as freestyle goes because um immediately they saw there's oh there's actually this scene over there that's like it's growing in numbers people are spending that money over there you know ski fields as they are like hey we want we want a piece of that and also you know it was starting to get in the the, the action sport media like hey this is the place to go so i assume like they're worried like kids are going to tell their parents hey let's not go to any remarks or coronet let's go to or cadrona let's go to snow park instead so we can hit these jumps that are perfectly built and whatnot so remarks um which had already like catered to us after hours like mm. the guys at remarks park pretty amazing what they yeah. would do for us um yeah so who was the park crew back in this, this time was this sort of logan and Diggs, mel simmons sort of era nah those those guys were there when i first started going up there and right. it was logan Diggs, um tarmody rop um sam hana and Nick was the manager. All right. Yep. Oh, and Mel, of course. Yeah. Mel. And and and, and this guy Nick was the manager, and that was when it was like still quite low key. And those guys obviously went off to do way more, uh, way more stuff. Um, but um, no. By the, by the time this this redevelopment started happening, this is like three four years later. Right. Yeah. And um, so the remarks got its act together by like. Okay, they're planning earthworks immediately over summer. It's just like an announcement. Yeah, we're going to put in earthworks and start building this park up so we don't have to rely on so much snow to build these mounds. Basically just cop- taking a leaf out of a snow park's book and, um, and doing this similar thing, um, which was awesome for us because we got, well, all of a sudden we got this sort of somewhat advanced park um, and, and an intermediate park that kind of rolled for a while. It went about halfway down the mountain. Um, and, like, the park wasn't quite what Snow Park was, but it was it was pretty cool because there were the numbers were less. Because Snow Park immediately got this following and the numbers, like, some days, exploded. Some days they would be really fucking intimidating when yeah. I was definitely not a sponsored guy. And it's like, fuck, am I able to drop in? Everyone around here is a fucking... 
pro. <laughs> like, yeah, once you know, Snow Parker really got cranking, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It was, yeah, exactly. Every guy, like sitting in the parking lot, which was like watching a snowboard video, you just watch the jump line, right? And, yeah. And all the piping, you're like, holy fuck. Yeah, you're like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, yeah. Should I even, you know? Yeah, it was um, hectic. Um, but your remarks were more low-key. Um, but it was good. So you had like, well, we still had the old chair, so it was a slow lap. It was just a nice vibe, and we had all our crew there who were mm. out there regularly. Um, and then after hours, the park would pretty much build because the Dero Projects was kind of established there with mag- Menu mm. Magazine. Yeah. So the park would kind of build us almost anything we wanted. And if not, they would tailor something that was being built for an international shoot for us. They'd right. like, kind of like maybe fix it a little bit and change it. Just- both Logan and Tom have asked me to ask you about the back three to five oh at remarks. Was this one of these custom built after our features or uh, yeah, it was a f- it was a back three to fifty fifty. But oh, yeah, right. yeah, but that was like um yeah. Yeah, that was a that was the first jump of the remarks park, so like a forty foot step down ish sort of thing, poppy step down. And I put the rail in the landing of the jump. So taking off you couldn't see the rail, you just like over the no. top yeah well I had in my head this idea that like I was going to do a um, front seven, a front 540 onto it a front sorry 600 whatever onto mm. it um, and the back three was the warm up but then once I got the back three I tried a few underflips switch underflips and because um, I was just like focusing on things where I could like land relatively straight um, because the impact was so like yeah, it would snap my board it was still yeah. pretty impacty and traveling a long way um and so once i got the back three i tried a few underflips and, and the boys were like no 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 no, you're not doing that no fuck off yeah did that end up in a video or something or was it just a that was in um i'm broke too i think the last oh, era right. video yeah yeah Sweet. yeah so we, yeah they built a few features they built some stuff for travis rice who was up there that evening as well um, him and Dills were doing something with uh, Torstein. Um, may have been, yeah. No, no, it was his second, his second film. Right. I think, yeah, his second. Um, Fuck, what were they Red building? Bull. Well, Red Bull. Uh, sorry, Remarkable's built this 95, 90 foot. Uh, what would you call it? Like a a table, a natural mm. table, I guess, if, with the middle cut out. So it was like a kicker and um, a raised, not a raised knuckle. Yeah, maybe a little raised raised knuckle. Um, so it was like yeah, a, a tabletop, a natural tabletop. Yeah. So up, flat, down, yeah, with the middle cut out of it, basically. Fucking um, And that was, you dropped the front side of the chutes, uh, altar chutes, like down the side there. Mm. And you had to drop from, um, fuck, it's really hard to, like 400 meters from the takeoff to get the speed Jesus mm. yeah right yeah we actually they didn't get the speed for it uh, um, Travis didn't get the speed for it and I, I guess Remarks had spent heaps of money on building it and Red Bull had spent as, so Remarks had spent heaps of money therefore mm. Red Bull had spent heaps of money and so we got invited I was up there that day and they just sort of asked hey does anyone else want to hit it and we got to go I got to go hit it with them um, Torstein and some other guy who were just hiking it. So. Trying to, I was just trying to get stuff for the Dura video. 
um, and then um, I guess Torstein and that were just trying to get something for Red Bull to make the whole story worthwhile because they'd, they'd flown like done heaps of heli filming of the whole thing like like yeah. not drone helicopter like yeah. flying around the remarkables like these big run up shots and it looked super dramatic and whatnot and then they they virtually had nothing to show for it it's like that's got to be a bit heartbreaking eh and yeah. um like that part of the that part of the um area in Lake Alta like it's quite close to the lake so there's big boulders and shit sticking and underneath the snow so there's this massive run in at first you're like shitting yourself and then you just got this huge like mellow running part at the end like a hundred meters at least where you're just like okay i can f- if it's windy you're like okay i can feel myself losing speed mm-hmm. um so like it, you almost felt like if they shifted the jump up a little bit further it would have been sweet or built yeah i don't know build it into a hip i don't this know park life was sick like you guys had a rad team and there was some cool shit going on there eh like i even thought the logo was like kind of looked like sergeant stripes was kind of sick too and yeah, I did that. Because you were a Park Life rider, right? Yep, yep. Me and Heiner were like from the start. Yep. So that would have been kind of sick. Because remember, Logan was sort of saying like you when you're Polytech doing the snowboard instructor yep. course, you were hanging out wanting to become Park crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Setting things up, and then yeah. someone got involved and stopped it. Yeah. So was that kind of a wee final hurrah of like, huh, well, I'm actually... Yeah, yeah. Know, like, oh, that was great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big middle finger to Jude, whatever your last name is. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was. It was It was cool. But it was just great. What it, it was more so like, I wasn't really thinking of it like that. It was more like, this is going to be really good because we now have a say in what we want to build. Um, and we, have a, we, ha- we didn't have much clout. Like, I'd have to go talk to Hamish, um, Hamish McCrosty, the mountain manager, and it'd be like, it would be great if we could get this, you know, in the nicest possible way, and I just kept him informed on what I thought of the park. I think that's probably the biggest benefit, is we're, we're like, we'd go to Hamish and talk to Hamish, all the park crew, like JP and that, to say, oh, is this, like, can you take a little bit of pop off this next time, or um, next time you're going over, can you just smooth this off, or bring this, bring this up, bring this down? Mm-hmm. And like, they have creative control, so they can do what they want. But um, yeah, I'd like to think we at least helped with a little um, positive feedback. Mm. And were you guys involved with any input in the stash or anything like that? Nah, that was no. Burton. Right. Yeah, as far as I know, that was Burton. Yeah. Mm. That was um yeah that that was quite random. Yeah. I quite liked it those first couple of years. Yeah. It was just so different. Like no way, this is fucking out of it. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty. Yeah. It's it's still. I, well, it it was pretty amazing, but mm. um, yeah, like I feel like we could have used it more. I, I think it was just an, it was another thing for the park crew to have to maintain, and like mm. those features in particular, there's a lot of consequence. Mm. Big concrete sheets and um, on bold rails on boulders and shit like that, you know. Yeah. Like, and and height. There's a lot of height to some of the features. Mm. Bit more consequence, and so you really wanted. You're basically going in there and shaping it up yourself if you wanted a session, yeah. which is really cool. But the best times to go and hit it were like when there was an event there, some mm. sort of stash. It's interesting to see if, um, because now that new chillif goes right over the top, so it's not really the stash anymore. Yeah. So I'm guessing they might put a bit more time into it now. So I don't even know. Visible, I assume it's still there. Of course, yeah. it must be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess. Yeah. Mm. It's. It's cool what they did. And yeah. 
like the building there with the uh, handrail and stuff it's pretty cool with the, mm. art, the artwork and the thought that went into it's really cool I think yeah. to have a southern hemisphere stash is, is really um, an awesome idea and pretty so big deal really isn't it like that could have easily gone to Australia but it went to remarks in Queenstown yeah yeah yeah, yeah. for sure so was it just you and Nick <clears throat> on Park Life crew or uh, Jeremy sorry yeah no nah, it wasn't it was me Nick Jeremy Thorns and Mark Anderson I think yeah Mark right. Anderson and uh, skiers, we had maybe Brett Harper. I'm sorry, I can't remember. Oh, that's all good. Um, Brett Harper, maybe Alice Spittle. I can't, can't remember. Mm. But um, but yeah, oh. there's a good crew of us, and got free passes yeah. for like six years or something. Oh, sick! And they just looked from the outside looking in. They looked like the marketing department totally batches and yeah. really. JC Josh Clark was. Um, part of the, one of the duos. Oh, he was right. part of the marketing department at NZ Ski back then. Was he marketing at NZ Ski? He was. Holy yeah. shit. Well, it's interesting you bring up Josh Clark because <laughs> he's, he's got a question for you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Stitch up. <laughs> Josh Clark would like to know, now that you're a father, will you ever publish your possum kid's story? Please, for my sake, do it. Yeah, I will be publishing my pub my possum story um yep for sure there we go josh yeah thanks josh i will <laughs> yeah yeah had a few little dabbles and other things um but yeah sweet yeah <laughs> well I'll get josh on to find out a bit more about what that actually means yeah um so anyway you're saying with park life they built you whatever you wanted which pretty much yeah um resulted in some pretty big tabletop features yeah we um we had we had yeah we got the thing was like the geography of the remarkables there's not that much room there's only certain places you can put a big table um, yeah. and then like you run up you start losing speed because you run up because there's sort of these big terraces mm. um but yeah they built this end of end of 2008 they built a step up up a quarter pipe I can't remember who it was built for. Was that for. for the Huffer Dudes? I think it could have been, yeah, yeah. 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 Is, that, is that the one that Andy Kenley overshot fucking po- massively? Possibly, yeah. Le- leaves us like this crater in the ground or some shit. Possibly, yeah. yeah. I, I can't remember if... I, I'm not even sure if I saw that, but mm. Koya undershot it, under-rotated a double backflip and knocked himself out. Fuck pretty sure it was a double wildcat um yeah and then uh fuck, what's his face the skier kid oh um sorry i can't remember your name um he went into the front holy at shit full speed yeah uh so he was he was set up to hit it this is where the whole snow snowmobile tow and a thing which we all knew was a bad idea started coming in because we needed more speed to hit some of these features hmm. um and so j mac was there for this one evening and we're shooting for the Jerry video, and um, we um, we needed speed. We had Lance Watson's snowboard snowmobile, and he was towing us. He was towing us in. And anyway, this um, anyway, he, yeah, the skier kid. He was like approaching it. He dropped the rope when he's ready to like set up for his trick and um the rope got tangled around the ski binding oh, and so no. he goes off the kicker up into the air and he's he's 
probably hitting at about 70k maybe more and the rope pulls him down into the front of the wall and like that all happened just after we had finished our photo shoot so like yeah. i didn't see it with my own eyes but it can't have been good anyway no fucking hell yeah and then no. the following year they built the hundred and something jump that that i fucked myself on and that was a snowmobile tone as well so we want to can we go into that yeah sure yeah Sweet. so whereabouts did they build a 110 foot it, was this like a step down style it was a yep yeah yeah i yeah like a 50 foot takeoff no 30 30 foot takeoff yeah, thirty foot takeoff. They had to abseil down it to like cut it and whatnot. With you, as you do, hell. yeah. yeah. Um, and that was yeah. Like we, the thing is, we stepped it out. We didn't have a measure. We didn't have a tape measure. We're dear as fuck. So like, mm. yeah. Um, they built it hundred and ten ish feet. The knuckle was deadly and quite big. Um, um, but hundred and ten ish feet, and it was that jump that you told me about your friend overshooting at the bottom of the yeah. park. Yeah. Like, if you go off to your skier's right, that was the run-up for it, and it goes down into that next part, into Water Race. Yeah. Yeah, so the landing was down into, like, the steepest terrain at... Um, and is that right by where the old lift terminal used to be, Water Race? The old lift terminal. Ah, uh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Around there, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're landing in that. And that steep slope. Right. It goes okay. down there, that way. Well, close. <laughs> yeah. You're talking the same aspect, but yeah. uh, just across a little bit. And we know where that cat track goes around. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, um, there's the cat track that goes around and then there's the trail that goes down to the gully. Yeah. It was like here going, uh, so it was like, uh, just trying to think of how you say it for the people. Um, mm. Yeah. It was the next down after the terrain park and it was, yeah, yeah, nice and steep. But the run up was very mellow and flat. So we needed a snowmobile towing. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, so they built that, and me and uh, it was a it was a Vaughan Brookfield deal. Um, so Vaughan Brookfield, the, our mate. Right. The, so you're being so where the current park is now, you're being snowmobile towed through the lower part of that yeah, that flat into, into a thirty foot high table. Yep. To a fucking hundred foot gap. Yep. yep. That's fucking hectic. Bro. Yeah, and and if you look at the footage, like the the knuckle on it was like that, like. Or maybe like that, you know, like it was. Yeah. A, it didn't look very, like, appetizing when you looked at it. Fuck. So who came but, up with this idea? Well, we were going. <laughs> that's just the start. Yeah. We were going to shoot it in the evening, like late, late evening, no light. And um, Vaughn had gels, which are like colourful filters on lighting on his on his on his strobe lighting on his um stills lighting. His, sorry, on his flashes. He had, mm. he had jet, these blue gels, which make everything light up like uh, turquoise, kind of. And um, so we were planning to hit it very late evening. So there's still some, like, red. There's a sunset. Um, but basically where we are, it's dark. It's it's very flat light and dark. Um, um, yeah, and then... So he had the idea, and he asked them to build something. They went and built something, Um but it, and they'd spent heaps of money. It cost ten grand or something to build this jump. A lot of money pushing snow around. Yeah, and, and um, no one wanted to hit it. And me and Vaughn had been hanging out that day. Um, went trout fishing that afternoon, and then um, headed up the hill. And I was like, Yeah, I'll hit it. I'll hit the fucking jump. Like I'll give it a hit. We'll see how it goes. And 
so like I was already committed to like sort of doing it um not not necessarily to help just born out but just like I was like how bad can it be you know just go too fast and the landing's massive um it'll be sweet <clears throat> anyway so we get getting towed into it um we had no idea how fast to go and so I had Jeremy Thorns there lining me up with his finger and he's just following me in and as I slow down he just keeps <laughs> he keeps the momentum of his finger going forward and we had a rough idea go as fast as you can but like how fast is fast when you're like mm. your jacket's rustling you're going so fucking fast but as you come up that kick you're like losing speed like you say mm. it's like a hard thing to judge so I, we did this finger thing with Jeremy and he's like follow me in as I drop in and then as I slow down his finger continues the momentum and he's sort of got an idea of where I was going to land and a rough idea and and anyway the speed we were going was like 110 k's into this thing so I had to get up heaps of speed because my last 50 meters I was losing speed I just immediately started losing speed over the last 50 meters have you got rid of the tow rope already from the snowmobile at about yeah about there so 50 60 meters like once I got to a point that was extremely uncomfortable to be going behind a snowmobile into a jump, I was like ditching the rope mm. and just assuming that the snowmobile driver was going up to the right speed. <clears throat> and so um, my first hit, I did a back three into it, like a, a, I intended to do a back three, went back five, and I went way down the landing, um, and that was sweet. It was like fucking the nicest landing, like landing like an airplane lands, like just yeah. like no compression. It was perfect. And at that point, I was like, "Fuck, this is on. This is really good." Not considering the knuckle that I just like flown by, um, because I was so far away from it. I was like, "Yeah, I'm in the clear." And then next hit, I did a back seven, which is the one that's in the film, and that was like this most easiest, most um, yeah impact no impact just like perfect feeling of flying through the air for ages really fast and the landing is just like butter you know perfect um so soft and yeah it was so sick um and then went up and did a front five so a different approach so i had to do the setup turn for the front front five so i was scrubbing off a little bit of speed and i came kind of closer to the knuckle this time and i'm um, like i was still like eh it's sweet, you know, I'm still going way past the knuckle. Not thinking anything of, again, like the Queenstown Big Air, not thinking too much about the conditions, but noticing that we needed to go faster. Um, so I was just like to the snowmobile driver, let's go another 5Ks faster, whatever, you know. I need to be like way down the landing where I was in my first hit, not anywhere near that knuckle. And um, at this point, Vaughan and, um, and Bugs, who was filming for Made You Look, he was, they were both like, let's just hold off and wait for the light to get right and we won't use all your energy if we just wait for the light to get right so I have this like 10 15 minute break where I'm just chatting watching the footage of the back seven like fucking stoked you know it feels good um I think Heiner is up there at that stage and um and Jordan um American Jordan and they are both getting they've both gone down or one of them's gone down to get their gear and come back up because they're like, oh, it's on, you know, this is this is happening. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I go and have my next hit after the break and, like, I immediately thought something was unnatural, felt wrong, but I was just like, oh, no, it's sweet. I should have just taken another speed check. It just didn't feel right. And um, 
and yeah, I came retardedly short, like, uh, I don't know, 40 feet short on the, on the flat deck. And I was doing a front seven for the first time. So I'd like, I'm obviously a little bit too much. I was a little too confident. Um, and yeah, so basically flew that far and caught my hair ledge. Um, and so you can imagine like whipped my head to the ground and then bounced off my head into the landing and then was just fucked, like fucked. Um, like um, ragdolled all the way to, the, not ragdolled, but you know, like that sort of sliding death slide you see yeah. a, a corpse do. Because <laughs> I've seen lots of corpses. But uh, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was fucked. And then, yeah, that was it. That was, and then, yeah. So what was the change? Was the, the snow got so, grippier or some shit? The snow was slower, but the snowmobile driver was going slower. Right. Well, yeah. 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 Just wow. a, a moment, a moment of, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just overlooked a few things. It was just going so well. And like, yeah. it was kind of nice just hitting the jump by myself as well. I was like, fuck, this is pretty sweet. Mm. in hindsight it would have been great to have had someone else hitting the jump with me that might have brought up the fact hey wait a minute this is like slowing down a lot yeah. while like I you're going in so, it's so fast I didn't know like it's not natural I think that's a big difference between having natural speed into something and getting towed into something like yeah. I'm putting all my trust in that thing that's towing me in so I'm just like yep sweet this is you know it worked yeah. before it's going to work again yeah what was the outcome of that slam then um, so I got duct taped to a piece of plywood, driven down to the hospital. I, I came to pretty much straight away. Well, I, in my mind, I came to pretty much straight away. I got asked questions of, you know, the usual concussion questions of where are you, blah, blah, blah. And I was like looking around first and, oh, the remarkable, oh, the remarkables, you know. Mm. <laughs> and, um, but like whoever the um, patroller was, there, it was like, you've possibly broken your back and possibly your neck. We're going to duct tape you to a piece of plywood and take you to hospital and get x-rays. And so I was like, holy shit, okay, fuck. Like, like, and at this point, I'm, like, feeling pretty daisy. Um, anyway, I have full body x-ray, like, couldn't find a thing wrong with me. Um, and then um, I was just released to release to leave the hospital, um, which is, like, the medical, the small hospital that Queen's Frankton has. And... Um, yeah, I like definitely took it easy for the next few days. Went to work though, like two days later. Um, I worked at Joe's Garage part time, um, serving coffee. And yeah, I was like stressing the fuck out. Like, I noticed, like, um, yeah, I was just like stressed, extremely tired. Um, I couldn't handle um, the environment. I couldn't handle the work. And then um, following day, a little bit less. Next day, a little bit less. You know, next time I worked, it was a little bit less and kind of gradually got better until like a, two weeks later, a neuropsychologist turned up at my door and he'd been like, the hospital had told me that like this is all the shit, there's a procedure that's going to happen because I had a serious concussion. But like, I can't remember it. And mm. my, my girlfriend at the time wasn't in the hospital with me. She there was no one there, so no one to tell me that hey hey yeah this neuropsychologist is going to turn up at your door and you know this guy turns up out of the blue and he's just like 
you're you no, didn't they tell you you're not allowed to do anything you're not allowed to fucking work you're not allowed to ride a bike you're not allowed to you're definitely not allowed to snowboard again don't ever don't snowboard again um and i was just like why what do you think he's like you've had like a like a a severe whiplash to your neck and concussion that comes with it is um yeah it's going to cause some serious damage um you've got you've possibly got um brain damage if not temporary brain damage and i was like yeah whatever anyway so we do all these tests like i'm drawing this um picture and i have to remember it and then draw it again and then draw another picture and i have to remember the first picture it's what they do for um, um dementia and stuff like that and like i'm like way way out like my, my my circles and my squares and my triangles are like not even where they were on the previous one or they're smaller or bigger or whatever so he's like yeah you've got some side effects there um and and then he makes me stand with my heel on my toe like heel to toe like, mm-hmm. like this and i couldn't stand up like i couldn't st- stay standing right. so like immediately like that was like a big red flag for me like holy shit this is pretty serious um and then yeah i got like light sensitivity um so that's working at work with like bright lights and sunlight um that would just like exhaust me um and depression that came on with that like general severe concussion yeah fucking hell so were, were you wearing a helmet when you were riding yeah yeah shirt? yeah should have been wearing a mouth guard because yeah, the whiplash right. with my top my bottom my oh, jaw a lot of people concuss themselves from doing that eh mm. that, the, the jaw and shit yeah fucking, and that was it fucking hell that's gnarly dude yeah Fuck, so that sort of segued out from being a sponsored rider to so what what happened next like was there that moment like fuck what do i do now or i went and got a second opinion and that was exactly the same Mm. um and so i was like after like a month or so i was like okay that's it i'm not snowboarding ever again that i'd come to terms with that but then transfer um someone from transfer offered me a trip to go to india Oh. And so I went to India on a mission that was like virtually fully, I had to pay for my flights and everything else was paid for, um, for a month in Gulmarg and, um, and that's where the real, the, the state of me really hit home, like I couldn't, like we were hitting, building jumps and stuff, it was me, Q, Rob, um, riding, yeah. and um, I couldn't land a fucking thing. Like I couldn't. Like I, I, I almost bit my tongue off. Um, like the second day or something. So I got this big scar on my tongue. Right. Um, like had a back five safety trick off the small jump. Landed like slam perfectly. You know, so like you know, like a <laughs> after bang or whatever you want to call it, mm. and just put my knee right into my into my chin and almost bit my tongue. Like bit. A third of my tongue through a third of my tongue fuck, yeah. yeah and then like um i was like well well fuck what the hell was that like i should have been all over that and then progressively throughout the time there i realized like <laughs> these are like my staple tricks these are simple tricks and i'm not yeah i'm just like sliding out of my heel edge my toe edge just weird stuff mm. i was pretty confident in powder and um i was not landing a fucking thing and yeah i realized that the whole balance thing that i was lacking um, was really like really serious um and i could do myself some damage <clears throat> yeah so i just enjoyed india pretty much the rest of the time which was pretty sweet it would have been pretty hard of it to be there in the himalayas and 
Yeah, we were in a window yeah. of no war as well, like the yeah. small window where like it went into like heavy war. Um, bef- when we were there, when we turned up, there was a grenade attack at the airport. Some Good local hell. got killed. Um, so all the shops were closed, and we were like, what the fuck is this place? Um, but also, like, um, yeah, there's, like, you're driving from Srinagar, which is the capital of Kashmir, and you're driving from Srinagar to Gulmarg. It's, like, a two-, two three-hour drive. And the whole way you're driving in, you're, like, close to the front line, and there's people just stacking. There's, like, people stacking bricks, and there's army guys hiding behind military guys hiding behind everything you know like mm. just waiting for it to pop off again you're like we knew it was like a war zone but we didn't actually realize like oh my god this is like uh, for real like this sh- they're ready for it to pop off again and um yeah. yeah it was scary but at the same time like yeah it was um the front line is like when you're in gulmag is the resort is the other side of the resort yeah so you're like they're like don't go down there you'll get shot um, yeah, there's like uh, Jace Hancock's local guy here, filmer, has a story of um, a helicopter. He was like filming some some stuff over there and they're flying around a helico- in a helicopter, a bright red helicopter, and they ended up in Pakistan airspace um, and like should have been shot down. That's, that's how it is. It's like just... Like, yeah. that, that's a whole other world. I mean, there's enough challenges going backcountry snowboarding <laughs> with just avalanches and everything that goes with that yeah. let alone throwing a fucking war zone into there <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it, apart from the fact that it was a war zone it was so beautiful like yeah. um, at times it, because it was massive pine forest here and it was like uh, like being in New Zealand when you're like out there in the backcountry you're like mm. or front country it was it was pretty awesome yeah. was that the first time you met Quentin? Nah, I met Quentin when we were filming for Three Degrees. Um, oh, right. um, my second season. Right. Started, um, yeah. Started shooting with Ben Ruffle and Josh Wallace for this New Zealand film, which is going to be all New Zealand music and all New Zealand writers, all filmed in New Zealand. And Quentin was like, yeah, Quentin and Dills and Denny were like, and then Will J and, and TJ, they were kind of the, the big names in it. Yeah. And I was just kind of getting started. Me and Rolly were uh, the Groms, I think. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask if there was any writers that um, you were influenced by, both local or international. Yeah. Um, like I bought, a f- I definitely like bought New Zealand Snow magazines. So like Dylan, um, Dylan, Denny, um, Will J, um, Jar as well, because like oh, Jar, yeah. Jar was closer to my age. Yeah. Well, at least I thought he was anyway. So I was like, oh, okay. So yeah, he's killing it, you know. Um, um, and then internationally, Terrier, um, uh, Bjorn and Eric Linus, um, which is another thing, like writing in Utah, those guys are from Utah, you get to meet, got to meet those guys. Um, um, but like, yeah, that decade video that I watched when I was a kid, just, yeah, everyone on that, (laughs) Christophersy, um, Mark Franklin Toyer as well. Um, mm. Not for the gangster shit he does, but holy shit, that guy is... He is so fucking good at writing mm. powder. It's crazy. You know how, like... You, you know how, like, um, you can, like, revert stuff in skating and it looks sweet, but, like, reverting on a snowboard doesn't? Yeah. You know, like, well, he does these, like, 
um, big meths holds it and then like does this like super late revert where like he lands and it'll be like flat you know like yeah and just does this late revert it looks he, he does he does that with quite a lot of his stuff yeah um but just his style man just like the slow grab like doing this, simple tricks uh, more, more simple tricks but just doing them so well you just look so in control in the air like his no grab shit was fucking yeah like probably still is for like, sure amazing to watch or like he does a five and he doesn't grab till like he's like just you think he's gonna no grab yeah. and he's just slowly reaching down like and he doesn't get the grab until three and gives it a real nice little tweak yeah so majority of the time in the air he is he doesn't have a no grab but his like arms moving down to that mm. so it's still like it's a whole nother style eh? i don't i don't think i've seen anyone else ride like that like um, Devin Walsh obviously is another one that's like fucking unbelievable. He'd, he'd be close to to that sort of style of riding, like yeah, because yeah. it's so the time, the air time eh, is just so long and mm. yeah, it's yeah. I I guess Devin Walsh, Devin Walsh should be like the number one um, yeah. international. Terrier because of everything he's done over time, but um, yeah, Devin's like pretty yeah. easy. So with the sponsored snowboarding ending, um, you ended up segueing into um, filmmaking? Yep, yep. And how did that all come about? So um, I'd always been kind of into a, I don't know, I was always like a little creative. I had a bit of a, I don't know, you talked to the other Deros. I can be a bit of a weirdo, I guess. My mind's got some weird creative side to it. Um, and um, we went to Japan in 2009 um we ended up calling it like the derokio trip because of this video i made um and it's just like it uh alta which was snc gave me and roly some money to make this little clip or me to make this little clip and so i just was just filming everyone and we we're just taking film uh, turns filming each other and stuff and um we put together this funny little piece of us in japan and yeah it's um that's sort of what got me started and gave me the idea of like hey wait a minute i could this, this is kind of fun and and i knew like um locals in queenstown and wanaka um in, in, in otago i should say who work in the film industry i saw it was booming um as well as ben ryan and nick Hine, who did diaries down under which i'd written for in the past um and so i just asked ben would you be interested in like you know treating me as an apprentice for a year year or two and like train me up and he's like yeah get your own gear and um yeah we'll start next early next winter so i was like yeah, sweet and um yeah i was an aussie at that time working at the burden warehouse and yeah saved up for some gear and came back and and started That's shooting sweet. stuff and i had a 60d Canon 60D, which was like shot f 50 frames, like um, sort of slow motion um, at 720p, which is HD. Right. Yeah. And so that was my starting camera. So. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then it sort of evolved from there. I'm um, just going back to Japan for a second. Uh, what was the Dero wrap in Japan? Oh, the Dero wrap. Like, the, the, yeah. So I had this little notebook. I had this little notebook with me that I was sort of drew. I've always had this like notebook of like little rhymes and stuff and pictures and shit. Um, 
in the end, we, I just wrote this like, yeah, it was just this little Jerry rap, but mm. it was, I guess it had some catchy elements because all those guys remembered it and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was one of the uh, things that came up in a few DMs, ask Heath about the Dero rap in Japan. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, um, well, everyone was involved. Everyone, I, I wrote everyone a verse, or I think Rob did his own, um, but yeah, made it into a song. <laughs> I think Rob's got it on his, on his computer somewhere. <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's, called, right, it's, you... called, it's called Vaughn Take a Photo of Me. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's what Vaughn was doing, was just taking photos of all of us. So, it was like, oh, yeah. so if we played it now, everyone would sort of cringe or. Mm, it's quite insulting, so I don't know. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> cringe or like, yeah, <laughs> giving some trouble with their wives. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Diaries Down Under, so you're quite heavily involved with those guys. <clears throat> yeah, so I did my apprenticeship with um, Ben, or Bugs as he's known, um, and Heinem's the host, obviously. Um, and then, so I had a year of that, and then Bugs was in the process of um, um, starting, he was on to another venture with his friend Chris, or Topher, and they started this company called Syrup, which is this camera um, motion control, it's, it's like a simplistic way, it's like putting it, like a, one of the one of the motions is putting, it's like putting a camera on an egg timer, and the camera slowly moves, you know, from left right. to right. And um, anyway, they started building that up, and so Bugs didn't have any time for shooting diaries. Um, and so basically, I got thrown in the deep end, and with Bugs sort of looking over my shoulder every now and then just to make sure that I wasn't fucking anything up. And um, I started shooting diaries by myself, majority of it. So you're the you're the sole film, filmer for diaries down under. I was the sole filmer, well, major oh. major majority for like five years six years maybe right yeah and then editor as well majority of the time but the editing was like a joint effort with me and heiner um heiner would heiner was obviously in he's one of the investors and mm. uh, so can you sort of go into a bit of like what goes into creating an episode with diaries as far as a filmer i mean um <clears throat> so well how it started was we got i wasn't too familiar with where all the money was coming from but it was coming from australia majorly the majority of it was from australia in new zealand tourism new zealand but in new zealand australia tourism new zealand uh, i think it was tourism new zealand australia destination queenstown so new zealand sponsor and then the snowboard sponsors that are involved were just like um they're obviously still very involved in your opinion mattered but the money wasn't necessarily coming from there and so we'd get we'd have this budget it'd get split up into you know into our missions and we'd we sort of anticipated shooting epic missions going and doing stuff that was hard to get to um the stuff that people want to see you know like mm. like uh, i remember we, we did our first heli trip our first heli trips and it was like super popular online internationally with transworld and um, snowboarder and stuff um but that um, we did that for a few years. We did quite a few heli trips and got famous Australian, uh, you know, like Australian riders like Ryan Teen, Teeny and um, we've got some surfers. We've got uh, uh, Maz Quinn, Kiwi surfer, to come and do mm. one with us. We uh, got Blake Thornton, who's an Aussie surfer from Maroubra, come and do one, and, and a few other personalities like that basically mm. thrown in the mix. And we were like, 
like it. This is kind of like a good way to like structure our episodes, bring someone from overseas, bring him here. It's kind of like what a lot of travel shows do. They sort of give them a Kiwi Alpine experience. Exactly. While, while doing that with like, um, you know, talented snowboarders. and, and yeah. So you'd still get that core following of the good, the good snowboarding. You didn't necessarily need to have a good snowboarder doing it with us. Um, and we'd, um, yeah, so we'd do one in the early, early season was always going to be at a resort generally because mm. like pre-season's pretty hit or miss here. Um, and then like get into July, August, um, would sort of just be like ready to go, you know, waiting for that, the good snow conditions and the right light, the right light, the right um, weather and working with our talent who mm. our person was, who's going to be involved or our four riders or whatever. Um, and then that whole mission focused, um, episodes sort of went out the window once our sponsors started saying thing like not our snowboard related sponsors not our not our core following but mm. our sponsors like Tourism New Zealand New Zealand how they were like yeah, they were kind of saying like well yeah these missions are great and these video episodes are great and they're getting good traction but um, like your typical New Ze- your typical Australian tourist isn't one going to get in a helicopter go up to this mountain and go skinning somewhere they're just going to go to a ski resort so um the episode started to like turn more into like ski resort focused and we'd get to do one epic sort of mission mm. a year sort of more relatable for you joe more, blogs exactly more relatable for joe blogs and just yeah easier to get bums on seats which was always the the idea, mm. especially New Zealand, Air New Zealand became our, I think our biggest sponsor. So yeah. they were like, we want, uh, you want, we want bums on seats. Um, so I got to say, it's, um, and I think Carl Dunham mentioned it in, in notes for Highness one. Um, like you guys do a fantastic job with making ski resorts, looking, like powder days and, all that, you know, like. Mm. Doing guys doing like an unreal job making it look extremely desirable when we know that New Zealand resorts can have um, days where it's not so and yeah, yeah. it's a real effort into mm. making picking out locations um, hiking usually hiking like forever and because you're, you're, you're find... the guy with the weight on your shoulder with the yeah. cameras and shit right yeah I Oh, I load the snowboarders up though. Oh yeah, fucking <laughs> carrying something, and yeah. which which progressively got more and more. You know, like I got more lenses. I got a bigger camera. I started carrying a little camera crane with me, a little yeah. jib arm thing, um, and then my gimbal and cine glass, cine lenses, which are heavy and big. It, it developed into like yeah. I needed like some llamas to carry some shit up the hill for me. Um, so they're they're putting in the work as well. But mm. then once. Once since like go time and we're shooting something, I'm not walking around as much, so they are really paying for it, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I carry a lot of gear around with me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're always shooting and because yeah, the conditions are so sketchy, a good amount of the time, and maybe um, we've got to the end of the season and we've only shot one episode because the conditions have been so poor. Um, so we're trying to stack in three episodes and like three weeks or two weeks um so we're like we have to shoot today it doesn't matter what the conditions are like and we're gonna we're gonna have to find some spot that's got good snow and so mm. you like make it about a park episode and then you go and get some powder turns which is 
could be like a 50 meter square area mm. and you just farm it yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so on uh, on a sort of a good time we we not under the pump how long would it take to produce a standard episode um it depended it depends on the story and how many aspects to it are because like once it became real tourist focused it would be like got to shoot this scene at a hot pool or we've got to go do this thing um or it might be like um the name of the episode might be like like something broad like canterbury so you're going like two maybe trying to get three resorts in there so anything from a one-day mission which is like a heli trip that'd take like a week week mm. and a half maybe maybe two weeks with post-production fitting everything in and you've got to do color correction and audio and everything at the end so that's gonna be pretty stressful if you're like you're saying before you got three weeks and three episodes to do or some shit yeah yeah that's stacks up no yeah. do it yeah i me and me and nick were often like by the time we'd shot the last episode we're like how did we how do we do that like <laughs> it was we had no time and it somehow just all fell into place and sometimes mm. sometimes there was like the spring ones are usually our better episodes because we'd get would save our mission for spring because you got more light, more daylight hours, and we mm. go do something cooler. Um, so yeah, it was. I don't know. It was. And has there been some oh shit moments? You know, like filming, and that it's like I don't know, just awkward situations. You're like, fuck, how the fuck did that not? Because I imagine there would have been a couple of times when you involve helicopters and cameras and shit, where you're like, Ugh. yeah, there's this one hairy moment where we're. Out, um, up Steep White with our Steep White episode and we're filming Heiner dropper shoot and the nose of the heli's pointing at Heiner and the tail of the heli's pointing at the ridge behind us and we're basically backing off and dropping elevation as Heiner's like riding down so we're sort of tracking him down the hill like you can with a drone um, but as we're um, the more time you spend backing in a heli and dropping and we're getting into our dirty um, rotor wash is what it's called and um, you can only sit there for so long and to get out of it the pilot has to like kind of like drop bank turn out of it so you've got this like moment where it, it spins 180 rapidly and you're like it's pretty hectic there's a lot of G's and um, me and Vaughn are harnessed in but we're hanging out the door um, shooting this thing with our cameras and then when the pilot um, told us that he had to go the thing spun so quickly um, that both Vaughn and I got thrown out the door of the helicopter, um, holding onto our cameras, which we could we could almost not hold on to. Um, yeah, and uh, and like like scrambled back in, like got, well, we got pulled back in by the G's of the helicopter, like banking, finishing its bank turn, and um, we yeah, went down and landed, and we're just like, holy fuck, that was um, that was so scary. Like for a minute there, we were gonna fall like hundreds of meters to our death you know and, and we and we barely held on to our cameras because the g's are so much that, that was, an instant fear of heights <laughs> and we had to go yeah. back up twice and film more fucking yeah. hell yeah right. it, was, it was quite scary yeah it's yeah. the scariest moment i think diaries down under there was also a um japan journals yeah if i got the name right there yeah popped up japan mostly. journals which was a spin-off of diaries down under and we did that for nisiko tourism um, and we did that for two seasons, so we'd spend a month in Japan, and um, 
roughly we'd stick to yeah resorts around Nesico, but also um, every now I think every season we did a mission north, one mission north. So I went to Asahidake and uh, Tokachi Dake. Um, oh, which we actually went to in Tarokio as well. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, doing a mission with, uh, <laughs> yeah. So going back to Tarokio, I've got to tell you the story. So. Um, so Rolly was driving us north. It was Rolly's responsibility to drive us north. And um, he starts running red lights because, like, you know, like the orange goes for so long over there. It goes mm. and there's green and then orange. And you're like, you could have gone, like, easily through the orange. It, it runs for so many seconds that you're like, oh, I could go. Well, anyway, we're, we're traveling through the day at first. It's an eight-hour-ish drive, I think. Um, and it was snowing. Um, and so Rolly's like tally of red lights is starting to creep up like real real high he got to 20 something at the end um, and, then, and then there's one this one but this one in particular um, middle of the night and we're all asleep in the back and you just hear this oh shit and we're sliding we all like wake up and we're sliding sideways through a four way crossing with trucks like they were moving, but they weren't moving fast towards, mm. you know, about to start moving mm. through this four-wheel crossing completely sideways and then, like, um, yeah, like, recovers from it. But, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like, fuck, he's like, it's 21 or something. Like, <laughs> just cracking up laughing to himself. Yeah, it was pretty fucked. Yeah, fucking rolling. Yeah. Jesus. That was probably the best part of that trip is just the the random little things like that that mission going to to Kachidake, um up into this um this onsen that's like at the top of a mountain and yeah, so 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 cool. Um mm. just those sort of experiences. And so that laid the sort of the groundwork of ideas of where to go and what to do with Japan journals. Yeah, and so the Dorokio trip contributed to Japan journals because we had a a small idea of how the the island was laid out and we had some good areas to go to um in the first year we went we the, so the first year of japan journals we um our trip was to Asahidake, and man we scored it so good and we got up there just after um oh, some of the euro boys had been there and like everything was built and we're talking like 20 ish kickers all built they're not big but japanese style stuff mm. you know like over trees or like uh yeah. branches or whatever into deep powder and it was like so deep um and, and basically the riders walk up one ridge and i walk up the other the, the lower ridge um which is kind of i think near a river and i was just walking up there and then would be yelling because we didn't have two-way radios of course because and um, we'd be yelling at each other and um, setting up for like what they were going to do. And then they'd, once they'd have their first hits, they'd create the boot track. And then the boys would just be cycling on that boot pack and um, walking higher and higher up the ridge. Basically walking another 30 metres around one tree and there'd be another feature there. And then going another 30 metres and there's another feature there with a perfect landing and a perfect takeoff. You just need to brush them just had to brush them off, off. yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's the dream result. Yeah, so we spent a whole I think we spent two days there and it was unbelievable. It was like minus it was minus eight, so it was real cold for me. But just the mm. the, the the what we saw was just uh, Who was the crew that you were with? Um like, we had Steph. The first year we had Steph. Um Steph I'm sorry. 
the first year we had Steph, Rolly, Browner and Heiner. Um, the second year we had Alex Stewart, um, Heiner, Browner and maybe um, Dane Teeny, Ryan's little brother. Oh, yeah. I think that was it. Yeah. yeah. That's a good crew. But yeah, yeah. Uh, we had this one... And this one jump in the first season was this jump at Goshki, which is like, it's 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 just this epic zone with a, like in a big bowl. It's this perfect um, terrace for a jump. Yeah, and all the boys, all of them, yeah, all of them got like a double something off it, and it was like pretty big, pretty big deal for Kiwis back then. Mm. All three of them got a double mm. off a backcountry, a big backcountry jump. Um, yeah, and then we filmed, and we also tested out the night filming side of things. We started like, well, I started playing around with this night silhouette idea, which turned into the Red Bull thing that I did later on. Um, well, I actually <coughs> wanted to um, talk about, because you did have a couple of other Japan film projects, and Night Fury, like, how did that, what was the concept and how did that come about? I think we just alluded to it a little bit then, but... Yeah, so Night Fury, yeah, it was totally off the back of Japan Journals I think the following year because um, Japan Journals we did we couldn't get funding or like we couldn't quite make it work and so I'd started working for Red Bull under John Forder and um, I um, approached him didn't know him very well but I approached him with a, a proposal and Jay from Burden as well uh, Colby in Australia um, Jay and Colby and um, it's just like yeah, I need this much money to make this happen. Can you guys help? Um, the Rhythm Boys helped us out a lot as well. Um, so the idea behind it was um, there's this Japanese myth about a some woman called Niyuki who like um, tempts men, I think they might be drunk men, out into the wilderness and then like has sex with them and then kills them. And I was just like, <laughs> you know, just something stuck in the back of my mind. Mm. And then um, we started, after, uh, also after Nesico, we were like, oh, this lighting, uh, this, this silhouette idea with big lights, um, this looks pretty cool, you know. We could at least do like a small piece, like a little art piece of some sort of snowboarding of silhouettes or whatever. And, um, and the two things sort of came together. I was like, okay, so we're going to do a story. Um, it's going to be a sort of a Red Bull-styled um, action clip, um, creative sort of clip, not a documentary, about this phantom that tries to like these snowboarders find themselves in this area. Everything's lit up for them weirdly and built for them, but um, this phantom like kills them off one by one, and that's like her way of like killing them. And I had um, so I proposed it to Browner. He was keen immediately because yeah, Browner's sort of into like hard work, which it was definitely gonna be. Um, because we had to lug all these lights up there, these new LED lights um, that they use for lighting up golf courses in, at night in Japan. Um, and we, um, yeah, sort of started brainstorming how we we're going to do it, and we found lights and found the cabling and found everything we needed, and we had um, it sent to the boys at Rhythm Board Shop in Nisiko. Um, so that was all ready, and then we just had to find writers. So um, I kind of talked... Well, me and Browner talked Koya into it, and he was like, kind of just like, fuck, I'm ready, for, I'm keen to go have some fun, you know, have do a mission. Mm. Um, and Connor Harding as well, 
you've got Connor in there. So he, Connor was like, he wasn't like grom grom at that point. He was a bit older, but um, yeah, he was definitely much younger than us. Um, and um, yeah, so we had our team, we had an idea, and we we left for Japan end of January, and we had a month to shoot. Um, so we filmed almost every night in uh, Nakayama Pass, and it's the pass in between Sapporo and Niseko. Um, one of the one of the passes in between Sapporo and Niseko, and um, we basically would like depending on the feature would light up this would probably not light up the run up too much so lug in these things every night yeah we had right. s- sleds like um big sleds that you could big toboggans that you could mm. like load up with uh, we had two generators two 2.5 watt generators um now love fucking heavy nothing yeah. like expensive like those nice little honda ones mm. um we had these big big dogs and we had like a hundred meters of cable of um, extension cord. Um, we had eight of these big lights, which would light up like a run up enough, and the takeoff and landing for like a 50, 60 foot kicker. Um, and we just started slowly. Basically, we we lit up a under a hundred meter face one night and made sure that we could like shoot. Um, and it worked and um, I actually had Ben Ryan who was direct started diaries I had him there documenting it with um for syrup um, so he was doing like a behind-the-scenes thing for his syrup company showing all their gear working and whatever. yeah and uh, it worked great and then we went and hit some bigger features then we started building jumps and then that's when like the real effort had to go in. like we'd start building it at dark so we're, we're on a graveyard shift, so we'd sleep all day, then head out um, at dusk and start building. Um, we'd, we'd lug the gear in first and then start building. And then we wouldn't finish building a jump till like 11 o'clock mm. at night, maybe 12. I'm pretty sure Koya did his, he tried to double at like 1.30 when he blew his knee out. Oh. Um, yeah, so the boys have been like lugging gear and we're buggered from that. Um, and it could be a decent, we could be lugging gear in a long, long way. Um, and we went into these mining areas, which would sort of scoped out from Japan journals that like, uh, sorry, yeah, Japan journals. These mining areas are amazing because they had these terraces already, natural terracing. And there's always some sort of feature there that you could do. And so some of the places were like gravel mines. Mm. Um, um, and so, yeah, the boys would do that. Then they'd build the jump. And that would take hours because it'd be some big wedge, monster wedge. Um, and then they would start hitting it at about midnight. So you can just yeah. imagine, like, they're already out of, like, it's it's night as well. It's quite weird when you don't see the sun. And especially getting into the project after, like, two weeks, it was getting, it was getting hectic, you know, mm. on the body, um, on the body and the mind. You don't really see the sun. You don't really see that much sun in Nisiko as it is. And then you're really not seeing the sun mm. um, and so yeah they started we, we, we just shot each jump each location as um until it was sort of done then we'd like unpack at the end of the last session move on to the next location stash the gear there's like all this gear was just 15 10 15 grand worth of gear just stashed out in the middle of the wilderness <laughs> a lot of the time mm-hmm. like middle of nowhere you know 
and we went and we tried to session the famous like mushrooms in Mexico, the one that Will J I think's done. It's like five pillows or something. Real cool mushroom set that didn't really work. Some stuff worked well the, in the in the night, and then some stuff didn't. Um, but then also because of the story, the phantom killing them off. Luckily, we had that because um, Koya blew his knee out after the first week. Um, then Connor um, almost broke his femur, bone, a femur on a tree on the third week. And so we only had brown and so we needed some, like, if we were just there to shoot action, um, we would have been screwed because we were, you know, down by one rider after week one. Um, so, yeah, we had to... He shot these scenes where the phantom goes and kills them off one at a time and it just worked out just perfectly you know mm. it was um it worked out pretty sweet and i don't know it was a creative way of doing it i didn't really want to do a documentary because i'd done diaries and japan journals mm. before and i was like so it's kind of cool that you heard some folklore story and it's like oh cool let's figure out a way to make that yeah you know, yeah following that sort of idea is like yeah it's snowboarding but come on this isn't for snowboarders necessarily. Mm. This is for yeah, so the mainstream. So, like, get get attention to snowboarding, and people will love, people who don't snowboard at all will love it more than snowboarders. And so that was a Red Bull project, was it? Uh, Red Burden, Burden yeah. mainly. Um, Red Bull, yeah, Red Bull platform. Another um, Japan project that people know pretty well is a Hidden Mountain project. Mm. We um, go into what the story was behind that. <clears throat> yeah, so Hidden Mountain, um, I had Browner there who wanted to, who was always keen to do something, um, didn't matter how punishing it was. Um, and so we'd done this uh, episode for Diaries, we built an igloo, and um, <laughs> it was a heli trip. We built an igloo, and the boys slept in it with Steph, Stratton, Heiner, Browner, and, um, and an American kid, I can't remember his name, sorry. Um, we built this massive igloo and then um like not conventionally we built it out of blocks like you build a kicker jump mm. yeah and um and then we had a tunnel into the igloo and then brown put a fireplace in one side of the tunnel and um that sort of spawned the idea we're like hey wait a minute there's something we could actually do something cool here mm-hmm. and build a little village because our setup on this diaries episode had features all around it and we're like man if we could find something like that in Japan, where would we put it? Mm. We can't go to the mining zones that were sessioned before because there's just too much. Like in Night Fury, when we turned the lights on, down on the road, you could just see this like beam of light. It was like bouncing off the snow like aliens had landed just up there or something. So <clears> given <throat> the position where the authorities were... Totally, and where yeah. it's like 100% illegal to be there. Um, so we... We sort of thought over places that could be good, um, and there was this one location that we found. We walked up a gully into this area. The gully had like possible kicker spots um, through it, and definitely like a hip, a few hip spots. Um, it, wa- it wound a few times, you know, it did a left corner and a right corner, a left corner, and then it opens up into this bowl, and it's all pretty manageable. It wasn't like avalanche danger there, yep. There could be an avalanche there for sure, like anywhere, but um, it wouldn't be a big one because, like, what there wasn't a massive bowl. It was very, very small and contained. It was very much like sledding terrain almost. And so we had our, we sort of were like, okay, that's our, that's going to be our location. Um, 
and I just said to Brown, how do you feel about like building this this village that just continues like we weren't even talking terrain park like we're talking like fuck it'd be cool to go build a mega igloo and just like build jumps around it and whatever um, and, and session stuff outside the area but like film it as if we were staying in the igloo and make it look like we we're actually like roughing it but we're not really roughing it <coughs> um, and anyway um, yeah so then that developed into okay we need we need to find some people who are going to do this with us and me and brown i knew the pain of how how hard this is going to be because we'd built the igloo before and for diaries um but to convince people to get on board was um we thought was going to be really hard so we we had a night we had a location in mind um and then our sponsors we um we um, once again went to Red Bull for a platform. So I went to John Forder and he was like, yep, almost straight away. Yep, sweet, let's do it. And then that's basically like a stepping stone to going to sponsors like, hey, this is going to go on Red Bull um, website, redbull.com, or it might even make it on Red Bull TV, you know. Um, so basically it goes out to millions, billions of buyers or whatever because every town city has a red bull bar a bar that has a red bull tv and it plays red bull tv and that's been provided to them by red bull from what i understand that's why they play red bull tv mm. so that'll be it'll be played in the loop of red bull tv at all these places so it goes over to all these people who haven't um who wouldn't even think to watch it but still get eyes on it so there's benefit for other sponsors to be involved like snowboard sponsors like burden um, so it was an easy sell to Jay and Colby like they're always on board with anything that we've done um, and Brown is there so they're like well it's going to be funny you know like Brown is like a real tinkerer like likes to it's going to be good you know you guys are going to go out there and build an igloo and do some, build some weird shit it's going to have a good story behind it <clears throat> and then um, we approached we initially were looking for one big sponsor so we approached Monster Children in Australia for them to find us sponsors. Um, and we're like, you guys can put an article in your magazine. If you find us, you know, you guys have to find us some sponsors. And we're like, just anything, you know, we don't care. It just has to fall in line with our other sponsors. We can't have an energy drink. You can't have, um, I don't think we could have an alcoholic drink. Oh, no, obviously we could because we ended up getting corona. Yeah. So we could have an alcoholic drink, but um, yeah, no energy drinks. Um, we, we all get to Japan. We all, again, went to Nesiko at the end of January and um, started shooting for a month again. Um, combination with Holiday Nesiko um, and Rhythm snowboards once again gave us money and sponsorship and stuff too so that was quite a cool um and a lot of assistance and getting things that we needed to make this work and, and help with locals and stuff um and um so we we get to our location with the boys and so we had benny comba nick hine nick brown was our key talent and then um, Rob Mitchell was, was going to come for some time as well and we we're going to sort of hopefully catch other people who are coming to the area. And then um, we talked, well, I talked Toby Wilson, a Wanaka shooter, and, her, and um, his now partner, Stina, um, into joining up, um, being part of it because 
I needed a second shooter and um, and Steena was interested in doing a behind the scenes thing which is also like quite um, attractive to like Red Bull they're like mm. oh yeah sweet there's behind the scenes of this project interesting project um, but I told those guys like I told everyone and Browner knew Browner knew already I was like this is going to be extremely punishing. You're going to fucking hate it. You're going to hate it until you look back on it and you're going to love it. Because that, basically that's what Night Fury was. We're like, mm. that fucking sucked. And then later on, further down the track, like a week later, you're like, oh man, that was so cool. Yeah. And then a month later, like, oh, let's do it again, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So we had all those guys and then um, we talked them into it and they sort of like laughed at me. And like, I remember Toby and Stina sort of like, Haha, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is going to be terrible. And I, I don't know how much they believed it or, like, you know, it was going to be bad. But, um, yeah, anyway, it, it, it turned out to be a lot of hard work. Um, we had Vaughan Brookfield shooting photos as well. He sort of knew the deal. Um, but those guys were completely in the dark about exactly how punishing it was going to be. <clears throat> so we arrive at our location, show them the area. Um, it's a quick walk in. It's an hour drive from Nisiko. Um, and we're in this other pass. Um, God, I forget what the pass is called. But we're in this other pass, the old way of getting to Sapporo and back. Um, and there's, fuck, it's, there's no one up there. There's like a, a restaurant that does some like um, ice pyramid every year. And they sell like potato. Uh, <laughs> they sell like these potato um, snack things. And that's all you've got in the area and then I guess people sled um, so we turn up to the zone it's completely looking pristine absolutely amazing everyone's just like holy shit this is gonna be amazing you know um, we're all very, we've got high hopes um, and we start digging <clears throat> we start digging the first igloo and um, I think we had almost finished building it after the first day um, which was good. We're building into the evening and we had a late night drive back. We left, we took all our gear and, and left it up there. Um, so we now had a space so we could leave gear, come and go as we pleased. The following days we, um, we built a mezzanine floor in the inside, uh, put up, we froze um, water in these bins and made windows and cut out windows for it and browner put in his fucking chimney um we, we bought a little uh, oven um chimney set up but um yeah so we they and the boys installed the chimney and we had a way of cooking food um a good place to store um our know, bits and pieces um and a place to eat lunch importantly because it's you working in a blizzard sometimes and mm. just like you just want to get out of the blizzard and eat and you can't walk back to the car we, we got all that finished and then immediately started looking at what's next. So we're like, okay, well, the, we built a few jumps, had a few had a few days riding and just feeling the place out and then went and built the big loo, the big igloo. Um, and at the same time the big igloo is getting built, we built the tunnel, which goes from, it got real, it got really out of hand really quick. Basically a tunnel that goes through an igloo with a four-way crossing in it um, up into the bigloo which was like this massive igloo that had blocks the size of like a person it took Jesus. it took like three people to carry and lift and put in place um, and uh, yeah we spent like 
two weeks doing that, getting that shit all sorted in this tunnel system, like, I don't know how many, 20, 30, 25 metres the tunnel was, that linked up yeah. the big glue that went through the four-way crossing igloo out into a berm or a jump. Um, so these tunnels also used as like run-ins for snow? That was the idea, the, yeah. the tunnel was the run-in, yeah. So right. that was like a big, that was sort of like an idea. And that was an idea that was meant to like carry on throughout the shoot, but then we realised this is going to take so fucking long. We'll just, just focus on this little zone and make it real good. Which we did on like two occasions. We made it look real nice and then it snowed and covered everything. <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> you got to cover it all up. But, um, boys and Stina did amazing. We all dug for like, we did laboring shifts, you know, like mm. eight, ten hours a day. And some days we didn't do any snowboarding. In fact, majority of the time we weren't doing any snowboarding. Yeah. And the boys would go back to the, the now the first igloo, which we called the shitloo, because that eventually, the, the stain of soy sauce and the, um, the ice and the snow, mm. and that started making it look like a pretty shit igloo. Um, mm. We'd be sitting there having lunch, and as opposed to like them talking about, oh, I can't wait to get this trick, you know, on that jump, or what jump are we mm. going to build next? They're like, they're talking about, what feature are we going to build next? Oh, we should build like like a bigger tunnel system with a, an S-bend into a hip or something and you're just like oh my god this is this is really cool but we still had to film snowboarding of course mm, so it almost turned into smoke on the construction site it totally yeah. no that's exactly what it was yeah smoker on the construction site and mm. it was like talking igloo construction um a little bit of snowboarding and what we were going to do for dinner that night because our accommodation, the one thing that made it really hard is our accommodation got rented out from underneath us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Holiday Nesico, who, like, had all the best intentions to sponsor us, got a better office, so to speak, because people were paying so much money to come and stay, and they booked us out. And so we had to change. We had to, as opposed to having an apartment majority of the time and changing maybe twice, we had mm. to change every, almost every night or every yeah, second right. night. Yeah. So it made you hear you drive in, get up early, and you repack, load up the van, or just leave the gear there for the someone to move over to the next apartment. Um, drive in an hour, build all day, maybe session something. Um, drive back. You get would get home at like seven or eight o'clock at night. Have to move into our new apartment, unpack, and so you just be like. Yeah, going out to restaurants every night, just shitting on the budget even more because all of the cheaper restaurants were always booked out, so we're always having to spend like quite a lot of money and go to these mm. expensive places. Yeah. Did that for three weeks and yeah, just stack footage. Um, and it was it was cool. I think Steena almost lost her mind being up in the hills with you know like four five dudes the whole time, but yeah, go through it. So Ben Comer sent me through a picture of you on a raft in the middle of a river there at that time. You enlighten us a little bit on what the story is. It's not really something you associate with snowboarding in Japan. Yeah, the intro to the to Hidden Mountain was like meant to be this like mass piss take of like this other video we'd seen, this GoPro thing. I can't remember who it was who did it, but I was um I almost wanted to say like Haki Saucer or something, but it was someone who'd done like a video, but GoPro dramatized this thing where he's like 
kayaking to get to the peak or you know mm. so we were just thought that was pretty funny so we like made this video where browner walks out of the water um he walks out of the ocean with a snowboard so he's come from the ocean he's walking along the land um he gets in this inflatable raft like one of those um those cheap ones that you can buy like kmart mm. um and he, he he rafts up river upstream um and then like walks up through a blizzard and he's like leading me and vaughn to this like place that he told us about but browner to shoot this in our fourth week browner broke his back unfortunately right. um yep and he broke his back outside our accommodation what happened there slipped on some steps oh shit yeah fuck yeah so not then, even doing anything cool no no Damn. not really and then um, I had, uh, yeah, so we had to continue on, get the intro in the bag, had to figure out how we're going to wrap up the film. No one really filmed like, uh, felt, no one really felt like um, shredding too much. Browner basically went to hospital um, and was on drugs, and, or really shit drugs, and was um, in a lot of pain and had to get on a flight to go home immediately. Um, so we sort of like fuck what do we do and just like we have to keep going we have to finish the project um you, you can't leave the sponsors hanging you know mm-hmm. the people have invest, they've invested money in us and we've got to finish the project so we did our best um and so i ended up dressing up as browner and performing some of these like the paddling up the paddling in this inflatable raft up the river was one of the things i had to do and um yeah, it was this inflatable raft on these rocks that were sharp. So immediately after the first attempt, oh no, so I floated down the river first. Right. We thought that would be good. We thought yeah. that would be good, but that um, it didn't give us enough time to like frame up, and I was like out of control. So I'm going down this like very very small rapid, but in this raft that I can't control, and it popped the raft. So we got this hole in the bottom of the raft immediately. So we're like immediately fucked. No footage. Lots of effort no fridge mm. um and i'm wet which didn't seem to bother anyone else but me but, yeah. um, and then um yeah and then we patched up the hole and started filming it again uh, me paddling up the river pretending to be browner got the shot um yeah it was um it was, it was pretty shit and then then from there we went on to shoot our night scene which was like um so i had this idea our friend Glenn Clayton from Japan. He's a photographer from up there. He um, he's a Kiwi guy, um, but he he's been living there for a long time. And um, he uh, mentioned something about some famous taiko drum guys that he knew. And um, they're like we like oh yeah, thinking like oh, they're a little bit famous, you know. Oh they might they might be keen or they might not. They might just be like nah. But anyway, we got the phone number for their manager. And he like he was like, yep, cool, sounds good. We're like, yeah, it's gonna be on rebel.com, blah blah blah. You know, it's it's gonna be part of this idea I had, shooting nighttime stuff to fill in all the shit we missed out on because Brown broke his back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, um, he was cool with it. Um, we lined up this evening to go film these Taiko drum guys, and it was like. It, everything just fell into pra- place perfectly. Um, it was unbelievable. Me and I, I think it snowed the heaviest I've ever seen it snow in my life. Like 
huge huge flakes and just like not like falling down lightly like just shitting on us um while these guys are doing this, this taiko drum performance um we made these guys do it like eight times filmed with a bunch of angles got that in the bag and that was like the coolest thing we filmed the whole time we were in japan probably and then after i did that rafting thing we went out to shoot the nighttime action footage so we went and shot three nights i think with heine and benny alone because they were our only writers at that stage left rob had gone home Browner was also home. Yeah. Um, so we got, yeah. So we've got uh, just Heiner and Benny, and um, we built all these smaller features and sort of copied what we'd done a little bit with Night Fury. So we're just like, we need to fill the shit out and and have something to segue to. Um, still with no idea of how we were gonna make the ending um, because we didn't have an ending. The ending was meant to be like this mass toboggan run through the whole um like a funny toboggan run of the crew like doing like a train on toboggan so and hitting mm. this jump um and that fell apart so uh yeah we had to come up with this other plan b i guess <clears throat> you start when you start thinking on your feet you got to come up with something right like mm. um but yeah it all worked out pretty well the ending still like yeah man could have been much better better but Mm. But it was well received. I think so. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It got like it's over a million hits so far, and yeah. Red Bull was happy. Burden was happy. Um, and I'm assuming Rhythm was happy. And yeah, the sponsors. Sweet. As long as the sponsors are happy and no one killed anyone, we're doing pretty good. And are you still writing much these days? Um, nah, I'm not really. So I'm not allowed to. I'm still. Right technically not allowed to snowboard not allowed to ride a bike not allowed to do anything like that um and this is all from the remarks yep crash yep, yep all from that crash um i haven't had a checkup in a long time but i think the word is that like it's like a break that doesn't heal um mm. it just gets worse so there's risk involved and i'm probably just not gonna do that but i, I use a snowboard to get around from a to b lugging all my gear obviously on for, on on the snow but um Nah, and, and the problem is I'm, I'm really I'm tempted to try try shit because oh, I, I like loves like I loved snowboarding um, it was all I wanted to do for um, 10 years hmm. like pretty much all I wanted to do was travel around the world go snowboarding with my friends um, and then you know like yeah that's sort of just um, that, that, that all had to stop and I couldn't I knew I couldn't help myself like because I, I, like Jay Smith, Bird and Jay, like I met him up at Remarks one day and I was just, it was when I was still like riding, just casually, just riding around doing turns and stuff. And then we went through the park and like I did a front seven or a back seven or whatever. And, you know, I was just to see if I could still do it. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that felt pretty good. And I immediately saw myself just like thinking that I could, do it again um and i sh- and i was like nah fuck that i can't risk this you know mm-hmm. um so nah i don't ride for myself anymore i've done no runs this season i did one run last season i've done a heli run with my gear um the season before that yeah with heiner basically at the bottom like going oh fuck because i've got my <laughs> gimbal going full speed into this thing to do a big turn and <laughs> he's like watching his production just like 
fly away if I if I ragdolled that would be it um, but no nah, yeah I'm just too tempted mm. it's um yeah unfortunate yeah yeah they do. that sucks I think everyone probably hit you on the temptation like oh you have any <clears throat> advice for aspiring shredders or oh, I don't even I I don't even understand the industry anymore so mm. like I started snowboarding like that when I was 17 mm. um, the kids that are coming up at 12 um, I guess uh, aspiring shredders. Um, firstly, make sure you're born in Queenstown or Wanaka, mm. or your parents have lots of money. <laughs> um, nah, but um, just go out there and have fun, and don't care what anyone says. Um, you don't have to follow any. You don't have to follow any guidelines on what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. Um, yeah, like I say, I don't really understand the industry anymore. Um, mm. <clears throat> it's, it's there's so much money in it. There's so much money involved. It's a whole different world. Yeah. 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 And before we go into our end, have you got any thank yous and shout outs? Um, yeah, I'd like to thank all the Deros firstly, um, because you're all fucking awesome. Um, and then just, yeah, the New Zealand snowboard um, crew, like all the people involved, all the... All the riders that I've met over the years, um, travelled with, um, yeah, everyone in Wanaka, everyone in Queenstown, um, you're all such such good humans, and um, yeah, uh, I'd like to thank my my brothers, Rob, James, Hadley, and Sam, um, my wife, Nana. Oh, we'll, uh, we'll roll into our stock enders then, Heath. Um, you know the drill. Uh, Favorite rider. Um, Giggy Roof or um, or like yeah Mark Frank Favourite mountain Snowbird Utah Favourite board I something from K2 they were my last sponsor um, but I honestly anything that doesn't have a rocker camber all the way sweet yeah Favourite video part uh, Giggy Roof um, and uh, is it Optimistic or um, what was the one before that Absence. Future. Future proof. Future proof. Yeah, future proof. That's the one good. where he overshoots the whole fucking thing yep. on, onto his back, eh? Yeah, I, in fact, no, nah, I don't have a favourite part. I just like f- absence films. Like, mm. they're, they're like little segmented bits and it's quite interesting. And yeah, just mm. anything from those guys. Oh, sweet. Uh, favourite gig? As in musical? Gig. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't been to many. Uh, but Dragon and Manly was pretty sweet. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's uh, Kiwi pub rock classics there, eh? Yeah, they play there like every two weeks, so it's like, uh, yeah, it's more of a joke than anything. But um, yeah, uh, Nas, Damien Marley, and um, I don't know what it was, but I was in Sydney. That was pretty sweet. Um, I need to go see more gigs for sure. Favourite city? Copenhagen. It's pretty sweet. Favourite track? Back five. Favourite board graphic? Um, I actually don't mind that one. Plague. That one's pretty sweet. Right. Oh, they, What's that um, called? Laura Shellcrest did that one. Yeah, yeah. I reckon I, that's awesome. I, I can't remember the title of it, though. Yeah. The headla- the chick with the, the decapitated Oh, Lolita. Chick. Lolita. Lolita. That oh. was... Uh, <clears throat> so Nick Kirkland gave that board to me put it on the wall. It's Ferret's old rail board. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's pretty sick. Yeah. Uh, who has the best method?
I know everyone says Terrier, um, but Terrier, Gigaroof, and Mark Frank's methods are pretty good too. Final bonus question. What's the key to a good method? Punch and kick. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, just feeling it, man. Sugar bra. <laughs> <laughs> no, Rad, Heath, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, bro. It's been a pleasure.